the Father. This is, this is a Brandon Colby Brandon Jacobs Colby from Facebook exclusive. And you'll see why 1984 won't be like 1984. Touche, my nigga. Touche. Before I begin what is essentially probably going to be the most, I don't know, probably the most involved and intricate and detailed and uh, I think most real podcast that I've ever done, I want to go ahead and share something with you guys. The thing about my podcast that I'm very proud of is, is that my podcast reflects everything about my personality. That being said, we talk about a lot of hip-hop stuff. We always have. That's what it's been for 20-something episodes now. Um, We've done some stuff on mental health. I've talked about my mom. I've talked about a variety of topics. So at the core of what this is, is sure, it starts out because the listenership primarily is folks who want to know about the history of Jacksonville hip-hop. But at the core of what this is, what established 1984 is supposed to represent is what Brandon Kobe Jacobs is and how the things that are relevant to Brandon Kobe Jacobs are similar in nature to the things that matter to other people and that hopefully my presentation of those things that matter to me that should matter to other people uh, ultimately impacts the world in a positive way. It gives a sense of perspective that hopefully is positive for some people. That being said, this episode is a... I guess I would call it a performance piece, but it's non-fictional in nature. So you're going to get a little bit of a of a story about the life of Brandon Kobe Jacobs. We're going to talk about what I think is probably the most important period of my life. Everything that took place in my life from December of 2009 until November of 2012. And I'm excited about that. I'm excited about what all that's going to bring. What I want you guys to understand is this podcast is in no way intended to tear any one person down. It simply is a performance piece. Hopefully you guys find some humor uh, in my life story, the sadness, so on and so forth. And you really enjoy yourselves. So enjoy uh, episode 26, which is entitled 43 West 21st Street. I want you to get swept away, I want you to levitate, I want you to sing with rapture and dance like a dervish. Oh, that's all? Yeah, be deliriously happy, or at least leave yourself open to me. So what is it that you think about when you think about Brandon Kobe Jacobs circa 2009? I know it comes to most people's minds. So yeah... Maybe I was a little bit of an asshole. Maybe I was a little bit of a the sort of guy that wasn't too uh, too good to be around. I could be a little bit difficult 2009. Hell, just ask Kiki. She didn't have such a great experience with me in the summer of 2009. I was uh, supremely confident, I guess is probably the best way to put it. Um, I was arrogant. I, I liked myself a lot. Truth be told, there was good reason. I made a lot of money. Um, I was fine as hell. So fine shit, I'd fuck me, you know. <laughs> um, and uh, I had women on top of women 
wanting to be involved in the greatness that was Boss Hog, Brandon Kobe Jacobs from Facebook. Nigga, please say the Facebook. Can't say the Facebook, don't say it at all. You say the whole thing like a pimp named Slickback. You say it all together like a drop call course. I'll at me, nigga. Um, things were great. There was nothing to complain about in 2009. Probably one of my best years. If I go back and I think about just how much fun I had in 2009. Um, drank a lot, did a lot of drugs. But that's not to say that low, oh, now at 33 years old, I'm like, oh my God, yeah, we all need to do drugs. But shit, let's just be real. It's fun to do drugs, right? Right? I mean, short of your life falling apart, and we're going to get there about how mine fell apart, but short of your life falling apart, what is there to complain about when it comes to being under the influence of drugs and alcohol? Nothing, right? We all think the sex is better. We all think we can dance better. We all think... We, we think that we can do everything better, right? We we feel like we're uninhibited, right? Of course. Yes, Brandon. Yes, I feel the exact same way, Brandon. Yes, I know you do because what I said is really fucking smart. So, you feel you all your inhibitions just kind of melt away. And before you know it, man, you're just this supremely confident version of yourself. And that was me in 2009 because I was always under the influence. Hello! <laughs> so, 2009, I had a good time. I was uh, emceeing in clubs. I was uh, video blogging. I had, I think at that point, I'm probably very well known for what some people refer to as the murder of Jabba the Hutt video blog that I posted on Facebook. I had 5,000 friends and Lord knows, I I was under the assumption that those 5,000 people were legitimately my friends. And it felt like it made sense because, I mean, Jesus Christ, like, I'm getting hundreds of, of likes and comments on every video blog that I do. I've got, you know, 60, 70 comments on every post that I post on uh, on Facebook. People are calling me brilliant. And, you know, when you're walking through Target and people are going, oh, my God, that's Brittany Cooper Jenkins from Facebook. You feel like you don't. The biggest shit in the world. Like, how are you not dope? I put it to you like this. Had I stayed on the path of video blogging and YouTubing and things like that in 2009, I would be all of those people that you see on Instagram here today. I'd be all those people that have massive YouTube channels and make tons of money doing it. It's just the truth. Like, I mean, there's there's nothing about what I'm saying is false. Don't believe me? Look at this. So you can see for yourself that... Life was really fucking dope for me in 2009. So I never thought that anything was going to change about my life. But God works in mysterious ways, right? I mean, it's it's a situation where God eventually is going to going to humble you. He's going to knock you down a couple of pegs and teach you, you know what, motherfucker, you think that you had dope? Guess what? I got some I got some surprise shit for you in this bag right here, my nigga. So um, and mine came in the way of a of a life lesson. Because I'm sure some people want me to say because of a woman, because of a life lesson taught to me through a relationship with a woman. Now, before we get down that sad, surly path of, oh, I die in a hotel lobby and yada, yada, yada. A lot of you are probably already know, already have read, have heard, you know, all that kind of stuff. Why don't we talk about the beginning? Right. So. December of 2009. <laughs> December of 2009, man. 
I am having a ball. I am working with Vernon K. Johnson over at Twisted Sister, and I am having a ball. And ultimately, what ends up happening is this strange collection of events. You know, I'm in the process of, you know, still dealing with a battle that I had going on with uh, a guy from Point Blank Entertainment. Shout out to Chose Man. Love you now, my dude. You're a real good dude. But back then, we were just at odds. Right? We were just at odds, my nigga. We just could not get on the same page. So, we're at odds with each other, and um, I'm working at Twisted Sister, promoting that with Vernon K. Johnson. Shout out to Vernon, Wall Street, everybody like that, having a ball doing it. And there's this guy named Chris McCall that just seems to be obsessed with me. He's obsessed with me at the club, always wants my attention. He's on my social media. He follows me on different platforms and just says the most weird and absurd things. You ever met those motherfuckers that just take a conversation and veer it left for the sake of veering it left? Yeah, that was Chris. Chris was a fucking weirdo. You know, I don't know where Chris is at now. Shout out to Chris. But you're a fucking weirdo, bro. So... Um, he talked about raping some girls or assaulting some girls or some shit, uh, on, um, on social media. And I mean, you know, how Duval County social media can be, they just gave him the business. They lit his ass the fuck up. Um, and I was having a conversation with, uh, a good friend of mine named Leo from Point Blank Entertainment. And we were talking. And then the next thing I know, this stunningly gorgeous young lady just starts commenting (laughs) about how she had some bad experiences with Chris McCall and um I was just like well who is this and so of course like uh like Steph Curry from the top of the key I was like well shit let me go ahead and shoot my shot hello you know, um, so slid in the DMs, we started talking and, um, you know, she, uh, she seemed to like me for being a poet. of a man was to never cry work till you're tired got to provide always be the rock for my fam protect them by all means give you the things that you need so after sliding them dms over and over and over again over and 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 over again. She finally gives me her number and we start chatting it up on the phone and one thing leads to another and ultimately we're like, yo, why don't we just go out on a date? Why don't we just kick it? Why don't we just spend some time together? Why don't you let me slide up in that pussy, huh? So nasty and so rude. <laughs> nah, I ain't say that, but for real though, um, I just wanted to go out on a date with her, you know? And so I hit her up she was interested, and the next thing you know, we decided to go out on a date, or so we thought. So here we are. I go and pick her up from her house over on the north side, knock on the door, meet her mom. 
She comes and walks downstairs. Now, the picture that I had of her was from her Facebook picture, which is long hair, beautiful light skin, perky breast that just was sitting up top and up high and everything was nice and lovely and whatnot. And um, what came downstairs was a lot of those things. But I was a little bit off put uh, because she had this like super short haircut. It wasn't this long hair that I had seen in the picture. So I was a little disappointed on that front, but can't get too caught up in that, man, because those eyes were just big, deep, and stunning. So, you know, she comes down in this uh, cute little black dress, and, um, you know, we say, okay, well, we're finna go out. And I ain't really had no plans. That's the other thing about me. I think most women will probably tell you, Brandon is notorious for not having any plans. Ain't that right, ladies? Jessica, you said, hello. <laughs> um, so I um, I just started riding back towards the house and we stopped over off of Beach Boulevard at a liquor store and we grabbed a uh, custom bottle of 1800, you know, the ones that have the little artwork that they were doing for a period of time on the on the bottles. And I asked her, did she want to go back to the house and kick it? She said, yeah, so we go back to the house. And I'm sure everybody's going to think that I had this plan in my head because of how we end up in this game. But I suggested that, hey, let's play Drunken Monopoly and let's watch movies. So the date that turned in, the date that was supposed to happen where we went out somewhere, which I'm sure was the reason why she got dressed all up in this black dress, turned into us sitting Indian style on the floor playing Drunken Monopoly. Now, I can't tell you that in my mind I wasn't on some get pussy type shit. Because, I mean, shit, I'm Brandon Kobe Jacobs from Facebook, baby. I mean, of course you, will. Of course you want me to be up in that pool, son. So nasty and so rude. So, I can't say that that's not something that maybe subconsciously I thought about. But I can honestly say for certain that it was not something that I, you know, in the forefront of my mind was really thinking about. But... We start playing Drunken Monopoly. When you land on somebody's uh, somebody's property, you got to take a shot. Uh, if you got to go to jail, you got to take a shot. And for some reason, on this particular day, it is the worst day in the history of niggadom for me to be playing Drunken Monopoly because I am landing on every single one of the properties that she owns. I'm going to jail three or four times in the fucking game. And before you know it, I'm probably about 17 shots in and I am drunk off my ass. And I I can't tell you what she was thinking. I guess she would have to tell you that. But um, one thing led to another and before you know it, there I was just holding her in my arms on my futon. (laughs) And uh, we started kissing you. That was unbelievable. And so I'd like to tell you that, you know, both of came in and gave the dope dick and just pulled it on her. But I'm going to be honest with you, man. I think she probably put it on me more than I put it on her. Because... People have heard me say this before, just the thought of being with her just didn't feel like it had felt with anybody else before her. You know, because, I mean, I had gotten busy all year long. I had done tons 
of fornicating. I'm sure my parents are so proud. <laughs> um, I had fucked a lot of women. Fucked a lot of women. There was Brenda, Letitia, Linda, Felicia, Dawn, LaShawn, Inez, and Alicia, Teresa, Monica, Sharon, Nikki, uh -huh. Lisa, Veronica, Karen, Big Damn, Cookies. Oh, I met her in an ice cream parlor. Tanya, Diane, Lori, and Carla, Marina, Selena, Katrina, Sabrina, about three cameras, Latoya, and Tina. But there was something about the way she looked at me that made me look at her differently. And I would stare at her while I was stroking her. And not staring in, not staring in a, oh, look at what I'm doing. I'm amazing. And I, I want to see if you know that I'm amazing sort of way. But staring because I'm in awe of her. I had never been more sexually gratified in my entire life. That was a good night. And right now, I'm the blues in your left thigh. Trying to become the funk in your right. Who am I? I'll be whoever you say. But, but right now, I'm the sight-raped hunter, blindly pursuing you as my prey. And I just want to give you injections of sublime erections and get you to dance to my rhythm. Make you dream archetypes of black angels in flight upon wings of distorted, contorted, metaphoric jism. Now, after we had um, what I just previously said was probably one of the most sexually fulfilling moments and experiences of my entire life up to that point, she avoided me. It was just weird. Like, I, I, I thought she liked it too. <laughs> um, you know, you know, that's one of those moments where like, you know, after you have such a fulfilling experience and you call and you get the voicemail, you'd be like, damn, something wrong with my dick. Like, you know, you start looking down at your own dick and, you know, you go get the ruler and you, you start measuring that motherfucker out and you're like, is this normal? And then you, then you find yourself going on a, on a pornography site to try to see how your dick stacks up to everybody else. <laughs> Don't act like I was the only one that did it. You did it too, goddammit. So, um, but she avoided me and it was just, it was weird. And I ended up finally calling her, um, I don't know if it was on Christmas or the day after Christmas, but right around that time, I call her and uh, she picks up the phone and I just asked her what was going on. And she told me that, you know, she thought that I was going to think that she was a whore because we had sex on the first night we met. I ain't never cared about that because, and I've always told everybody this, like for me to get caught up in somebody else being a whore doesn't make any sense because I'm a whore. <laughs> Right? I mean, come on, like, ladies who done fucked around with me, we all know I'm a whore. It ain't no secret. Everybody knows that, you know, up until recently when I got my life together, I was a whore. So, I I, I just set her mind at ease and I told her, I was like, yo, that's not some shit that really matters to me. You know what I'm saying? And luckily she believed me. And I said, look, 
We fucked around and didn't go out on the date. That's my bad. And I want you to feel comfortable being around me and knowing that I don't just view you in that way. So let's go out. She was like, we're really going to go out this time. I said, yes, we're really going to go out this time. And so um, I planned out a date and, and I executed it. So it was December 27, 2009, two days after Christmas. Um, we ended up um, going out together and I went and I picked her up and I'll never forget what she had on. She had on this uh, red and red and white dress. She had her she had a short haircut per the usual. Um, she had a um, a little sweater that she had draped over her shoulders and um, I, I picked her up from the house and I was like, yeah, Lee, like, what is going on? Like, why am I this enthused? We we uh hop in the car. We hop in Becky, the the the, the two thousand and five Nissan Maxima that I own that I was super proud of having. Man, when I tell you I was proud of buying my my first car on my own, I was like super proud. So you can tell me shit about my Maxima, but anyway. So we hop in the car. We start driving. She asked me where we're going because we're on uh we're on ninety five headed south, and um I took her to Daytona, and. Unbeknownst to me, she had never been to Daytona. Um, I took her down to um, Bubba Gump, down on the beach in, the, in Daytona, and it was just, I don't know, man, like, anybody who knows her knows that, like, when she is happy, it is the, it is the most infectious thing to, to ever get to see, because... She she has a smile that, you know, some people be like, oh, her smile lights up the room. No, she has a smile that is full and big and powerful and expressive. And her face is so perfectly symmetrical. And those eyes are so round and almond that when everything is just lifted by her smile, it just lifts you too, man, in a way that, that is just indescribable. And she just took pictures, you know, looking out the window. And um, we went to Bubba Gump, and I didn't know that Forrest Gump was one of her favorite movies. Life was like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. And so, you know, we do trivia, as I'm sure most people have done if you've ever been to Bubba Gump. She knows all of the answers. I thought that I was a Bubba Gump fan, because Lord knows when I was like 9, 10 years old, I ran that goddamn movie till it was out of style. I played that fucking tape. Yeah, I'm old enough. VHS. I ran the tape till that motherfucker popped. And, um, but she knew everything about it and she had a great time. And then we went and we saw, uh, Sherlock Holmes. The very first one. Dinner. Wonderful. The Royale. My favorite. Mary's coming. Not fatal. Um, at the movie theater right over there. And, I just had a ball with her. And I think she had a ball too. And things just seemed to pick up from there. It's getting too hot. This is the last time. I mean, for real. 
This has gotta be the last time. The last time. It's gonna be the best though. I promise. Just one last time. me with you she won't kill us. these hotel rooms is looking too familiar your love is so so serious girl you keep me coming back now this part might be a little bit of fucked up on my part but i'm gonna keep it a buck with you so before i met her there was a girl named Brittany, and I mean, what you want me to say, bro? Like, I mean, honestly, I I cared about Britney a lot. I um, valued what she thought. She mattered to me tremendously. Um, I guess she was this girl before this girl was who she was. And Britney and I had an on-again, off-again relationship. It was one of those relationships where I feel like I was more personally invested in the relationship than she was. And she decided to go off to school, do her thing in Tallahassee and just live it up as she as she loved to tell people back in those days. And so I had some emotional attachments to that situation while I was still in, uh, getting involved in this situation. Now, there's always been this debate. There's always been this conversation because here's the deal. 2000 and, 2010. I start in February to get ready to pledge Iota Fatato. So that process is beginning. And at the same time, I'm still doing some promotion. So I've got a couple of things going on at the same time. One of which is the Florida Invitational Step Show that I have to go to because I'm on the management team for Taydism. We've set up a show with my cousin who was a Sigma from the University of Florida. Shout out to Chris. And we were doing a show that he had set up where Briscoe was supposed to be there. Tay was going to be there. And a couple of other people were supposed to be performing as well. So we have the show that we're supposed to be doing. So I have to go to that while at the same time being online for IOTA, which is always a weird situation in and of itself because who goes to Greek shit when they're not Greek yet while they're in the process of pledging but they're also a promoter, so they have to have they have some logistical reason to be there. All this kind of stuff. So all of this is going on at the same time, and you know, old girl asked me. She was like, um, "Well, I don't, I don't, I don't want to say the wrong thing." And she, you know, turned around and called me a liar. I don't know if it was I invited her or if she asked me if she could go. Whatever the case might be, there's a situation to where we say, "Okay, we're going together." Now, there's always been this rumor and innuendo. You're going to hear me say rumor and innuendo throughout the whole, this whole show, this whole episode. There's always been rumor and innuendo that I just up and left her. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I, for some reason, I just didn't want to take her. So I packed up my shit and I bounced without her. That doesn't even make any fucking sense. For what? For why? For who? Me and my man Sterling done told her 51 million times that, you know, the situation went down how it went down because we got pulled over, time got tight, so we bounced. You know, she feels like I uh I intentionally left her. You know how that goes. You sometimes you just can't tell anybody anything different. If they made up in their mind that you left them, then that's just what it is. There's nothing about it that's gonna change. So 
Um, truth be told, we got pulled over by the police. Her point of view, that didn't happen. She got left. Okay. So, <laughs> regardless of regardless of rumor and innuendo, speculation and assumptions, what I will tell you is we get down to Tallahassee. I do my thing. And it's so funny because that was one of the weirdest moments of my entire life, man, because I'm being perfectly honest with you, the show was terrible and I'm sitting around trying to dodge. I'm just right here. <laughs> Just turn around trying to hide from all the Greeks. I don't want the Iotas to see me because I don't want nobody to tell me, hey, young boy, lock up. <laughs> Y'all know how the game goes. So this is what they got to be saying. So I, I'm just, I'm absolutely terrified. I'm going through this whole process of trying to do my job while at the same time understanding the fact that I'm online and respecting, you know, what comes with all of that. So I get back. She asked me about what happened. I tell her what happened. And I'm quite certain she didn't believe me because, you know, it's always been a a product for debate. But just to lay that out on the line, she did not get left. Now, what I can say is, is as far as Valentine's Day was concerned, which this has always been up for debate, I was a foul nigga. So we were supposed to spend time together on Valentine's Day and... Brittany called and Brittany says to me that she wants to spend time with me. And I don't think I was quite in a place where I was completely over that situation, which people love to try to be like, oh, well, if you liked her, why are you still fucking around with Brittany? Y'all niggas who say shit like this are lame as fuck because you don't understand the dynamics of the heart. Like, You have to understand that just because you're fascinated by one person doesn't mean that the ex-bae, the ex-boo, the ex-old lady, the ex-baby mama, all that kind of shit can't just come in and have an impact on you emotionally. So that was Brittany. She she had that sort of impact. She resonated. She was she was like dropping a rock in a in a lake and you see those ripples that just kind of bounce up and down. Yeah, she was that. She impacts it and changes the formation of what's currently going on. So I went and I hung out with Brittany. And I um I didn't answer my phone. I don't think she ever forgot that. Looking back on it now, of course, and and knowing where Brittany is in her life and how things ended up and all that kind of stuff. Um, if I could have that one back to do over again, I think I definitely would. Um, probably wasn't the smartest decision that I ever made, but I was a young bull, you know, even though I was completely fascinated in this woman, um, you know, I still had, you know, still had other, other pots on the stove, if you will. And I was trying to figure out how to arrange those things while while making her a priority. Tough situation. I'm sure everybody else has a million answers on how they would go about fixing a situation like this, but, you know, everybody ain't me, right? So here we are at the debate about auxiliaries. How are auxiliaries relevant to this situation? How are auxiliaries relevant to um, my story? Well, it's a testament to, I guess, my um, my point of view on, on the uh, auxiliaries at this point in my life. Um, obviously, now looking back on it, I am more of, 
I'm not this. I'm not one of these entitled high and mighty Greeks who think that, um, you know, everybody is above doing whatever it is that makes them happy. I also am not of the suspicion at this point in my life that everybody who joins an auxiliary is somehow a whore having sex with everybody or in order to become a member of the auxiliary, they must have sex with somebody. I mean, um, you know, I, I do have my philosophy on, I guess, the whole concept that, you know, if it's um, not nationally recognized by the organization, um, why would you want to join something like that? That's something that I think I'll always ask questions to. But ultimately, I, I have come to a place now where I recognize and respect the fact that if you're passionate about supporting in whatever capacity you deem appropriate another organization, you're entitled to do that. And whatever that process looks like that I'm not a part of, um, you know, I can't speculate on based solely upon the rumors of what other people say, uh, including members of that organization that you're supporting um, might say about you joining their given auxiliary that, you know, your experience is going to be similar to the experience of, you know, the young ladies who might have might have come through at another school that being said she came to me wanting to join an auxiliary at this point I'm online um I'm terrified really I mean it's this is an insecurity thing more than anything else and I own it now um I'm afraid of what they'll do to her I'm focused solely on what people have told me, you know, that process is like, um, you know, and I'm, I'm worried about how that's going to make me look, <laughs> you know, people don't, people don't want to admit that people, other people like this, like to always try to, we're notorious for this, I guess, you know, always trying to talk about how it could impact another person when in actuality, my real concern was how it would make me look. Damn everybody else. Damn even how it made her look. I was worried about how how it made her look by proxy of how it made me look. That's the real. That's me keeping it all the way real now looking back on it. So, I told her she couldn't do it. Which is fucked up because who tells another grown person what they can and can't do, right? Right? Like, even when I was 18, 19 years old, who the fuck gonna tell me what I'm gonna do, what I'm not gonna do, what I better not do? You got your fucking mind? Hell no, nah, nigga. I'm gonna go do what the fuck I wanna do. You know? Consequences be damned. I worry about those 15, 20 years down the line. Um... Ultimately, she's a member of that auxiliary now. Has she done all right for herself in life? Yeah, I'd I assume so, you know. I don't know everything she's doing now. We'll get there. But, um, you know, looks like she turned out fine. But I, I was just so adamant. Like, oh, nah, you ain't finna do that. No, no, no. Not if you gonna be my old lady. You ain't gonna be boss hog old lady. And be in that auxiliary. No, not not most whole old lady more. Oh no mail. No mail. <laughs> so I laid my foot down, um, told her no, and um you know, 
Oddly enough, she went along with, with what I suggested uh, or what I demanded, I guess. <laughs> um, probably one of uh, one of the bigger mistakes as it relates to the building of our relationship and, and how things were moving and where things would go and things like that. Um, I'm still online at this point. And, um, you know, we move, I think, to a place that um, that's powerful. Beautiful girls all over the world. I could be chasing, but my time would be wasted. They got nothing on you, baby. Nothing on you, baby. They might say hi, and I might say hey, but you shouldn't worry about what they say, because they got nothing on you. It was March 23rd, 2010. It was a Tuesday. Um, roughly around, I guess, I guess close to moving towards one o'clock in the morning. Um, so I guess in that case it would be Wednesday, <laughs> which y'all yeah, get the gist. Um, I... I had just been with the bros. Um, I'm sure you guys can figure out what that means. <laughs> and um, one of the bros dropped me off at the uh, the Dun Avenue Library over on the north side of Jacksonville. And, um, you know, she had to come pick me up. And she had my car. So she comes in. She, uh, she picks me up. And, um, you know, it's so weird. It's, it's one of those movie moments, I guess. <laughs> so, um, we're driving back to, uh, her mother's house to drop her off and then I'm going to go home and, um, slowly ring in, uh, in the background is, um, nothing on you by B.O.B. Shout out to B.O.B. B.O.B. changed my life, but <laughs> um, nothing on you is playing in the in the speakers, and um, I just looked over at her, um, completely worn out, tired, having to go to work the next day, and I roll over and I look at her and I said, "But you know, I love you, right?" She just started crying. And she she wouldn't look at me. But um, you know, tears are streaming down her, her pretty little face and she said, I love you too, Brandon. And you know how that goes, you know, when the girl you talking to says your name, like you know, because usually they say boo bae, you know, some some sort of pet name, but when they call you by your name, there's it's there's that oomph to it, you know. <laughs> um, she told me she loved me too, and I couldn't have been a happier man. 
I really couldn't. So, April 17, 2010, huh? That was a good day, man. Um, that's when I um, officially became a member of Iota Phi Theta Fraternity Incorporated. <laughs> so corny how we say the whole thing all, all fast and enunciated the exact same way like we did online. But, um, <laughs> so I became a member of this organization that I'm proud to be a member of. And, um, so we had to do the probate show, man. Uh, um, you know, I ain't shame. I'd be the first one to tell anybody, and I don't give a fuck what none of y'all niggas think. Run up, get done up. That's how I feel about it. So, um, I'm a member of a grad chapter. I'm a member of a grad chapter because in uh, 2008, when I graduated from college, there were no iotas on my campus. The first iota I ever met is Nelson McCoy. Shout out to Nelson McCoy. And I don't meet Nelson until the fall of 2008. So, you know, I mean, I never had anything that I was that deeply connected to. Um, so when I met Nelson, uh, you know, and I, I built a rapport, I, I pursued it the same way I think I would have had I still been an undergrad. But this isn't a conversation about grad, undergrad, made, not made, all this kind of shit. You know what I'm saying? Everybody know what time it is with me. But um, what I will say is, is that um, looking back on it, probably wouldn't have done the probate. But again, I'm 33 years old looking back on my situation. Back then in 2010, I wanted a motherfucking probate. I was just like everybody else. That's how this shit go, right? Everybody supposed to have probate. Everybody supposed to have probate. Of course, supposed to have probate. <laughs> Not even a probate. Neophyte presentation. Excuse me, because I've corrected so many other people. Neophyte presentation. Um,. Ain't nobody having probates no more. Shout out to my sister. No, she'll probably jump on here and she'll correct me. Shout out to Sean Gale, too. He'll probably correct me, too. And a bunch of other motherfuckers. <laughs> my bad, y'all. <laughs> Neophyte presentation. So, um, everybody wanted one of those. You know what I'm saying? And I wanted one, too. So, shout out to my dean, uh, Linwood Bruce. Uh, he made sure that we had that. Um, after the UNF show and after the EWC show, um, we had our show. We had our show at the the nightclub up the street from EWC. So, um, great time, great experience. But the thing that I remember most, mainly because the the audio from the video shows it, is there, there she is in the background holding the camera. She recorded the whole fucking thing. And the entire time she's going, that's my baby, y'all. That's my baby. <laughs> she was so proud of me, man. And I was just looking back at it. I, I mean, even now, I mean, um, you know, through all the things that we have been through, um, all the disagreements that we may have about how we view each other and who's right and who's wrong and how things are handled and all of this other shit. It doesn't fucking matter, bro. Um, I appreciate her being there. I, I really appreciate her being there because, um, you know, people like to, when things don't work out, they like to go back and they like to erase people from history, but you can't erase people from history. 
The moment mattered to you when it mattered to you. It was powerful. It was expressive. Don't let what has happened take away from how that moment made you feel when you were living in it. And in that moment, couldn't have been happier to be in that moment with that person in that space doing that thing. So no matter what, we've always got April 17, 2010, right? Now, no, I'm not the only one who's been in a situation like this where, you know, that, that process, especially we as young people go through where you're broken up, but you're not really broken up. And maybe one person knows that you're more broke up than the other person knows that broke up. <laughs> That's what this shit here was. Because I can honestly say oh, with, with all certainty that I wasn't completely aware that we were broken up. <laughs> so um, end of April, moving into May rolls around. We end up going to Soho. We got into an argument. I, I couldn't tell you what the argument was about. It was probably something on my end. Probably my fault. I'm guessing it had something to do with her talking to somebody that I didn't want her talking to because I'm boss hog and what that represents. Yada, 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 yada. An assortment of other shit don't really matter. Um, I know I uh, I said something fucked up to her. Don't remember exactly what it was that I said. I just know it was fucked up. So, I said something fucked up. She didn't like it. And, um, I guess the relationship was over at that point. Um, you know, I probably said something. If you're going to be doing shit like that, then we don't need to be together. It had to be something to that effect. I'm sure... Knowing her, if you went and asked her, she could probably give you exactly verbatim, word for word, what it said, what I said, and what I did, because that's just how women are. Um, but um, probably wasn't the smartest thing I ever did. But I was never known at that point for being all too smart. Some people might say this ain't too smart, <laughs> Brendan. This is not gonna get you what you want in the long run. <laughs> Probably gonna get you a couple more tweets, bro. <laughs> but nonetheless, um, I, 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 um, I'm responsible for the end of the relationship. I'll, I'll own that one because um, I had to recognize who I was with, how old the person I was with was, and how, how deeply she was impacted by words and things like that. Because, you know. Now, being the age that she is now, she probably won't won't want to own up to this. But she's a very sensitive soul. I'm sure, y'all, any of y'all who know her, meet her, stuff like that, you might not pick up on that. Terribly sensitive soul, very easily hurt, and when hurt, she can be a little bit on the vindictive side. <laughs> Just a little bit, little bit. Like, you know, <laughs> um, but when you love somebody, you have to recognize who they are and how you deliver a message to them. And at that point, wasn't so great at that on my end. So uh, I'll take responsibility for that. Now, what I didn't expect is I didn't expect for 
her to leave me and move on to the next relationship. But she was a pretty girl, so I guess it makes sense, right? Like, you know, there's there's niggas sitting on the bench waiting. Like, like you know, she was she was a beautiful girl. So it would only make logical sense that some that some guy would be sitting on the bench waiting to get off and, and shoot his shot. It would only make sense. I just didn't think it would be this little ugly motherfucker. When you get lonely at night, call me. I'll be right there. I'm the other man. I'm the other man. Yes. When you need someone to talk to, you know just what to do. Pick up the phone and call me. said that uh you know for all of the great qualities that she has that when she's angry she can be a little bit vindictive just a little bit and and i know that she's probably not in a space to where she'll probably own this one now maybe she was oh no i didn't talk to her but um i think this was a little vindictive <laughs> Um, July 8th, 2010, um, she, I, and, um, another young lady were doing business together. Um, we did a, a concert at a venue called, uh, On the Rocks, I think is what it was called. Um, we did a concert where, uh, Young Trap performed. Um, and a bunch of people came, I mean, it was... It was alright. I mean, it it didn't do massive numbers or anything like that, but it was okay. Did well enough given the venue and all that kind of stuff. Um, and um, we had been at odds. I had um, I had pulled out of the event last minute because I was angry about something, probably mad at her about something, and um, you know, everybody was everybody on the team was mad at me. Because they expected me to be more professional than that, and I probably should have been. Oh, that's fine. I'll own that one. And you know, I, you know, we we have to take responsibility for the parts that we're accountable for. And um, and so, you know, I showed up at the venue. No one really spoke to me because everybody mad at me. Oh, I'm talking to that nigga. I'm mad at him. So everybody's mad at me, not talking to me. And um, you know, a lot of people pass through the venue, and there's this. Uh, I, I don't really have a perception on height because I'm so fucking short, but um, I guess the guy's tall. 
uh, tall, dark skinned dude um, walks in. She she walked him in. She was walking outside. She was talking to the guy. All this kind of stuff. I ain't paying no mind. Um, I realized that the guy looked familiar because same guy was at a car wash that she had asked me to come to a couple weeks prior to that. Didn't really. Now, all of this is after we had, quote unquote, broken up. We're still fucking with each other. She, you know, I had moved out of my townhouse at this point. We're staying at my sister's house. So she had come over there and spent the night and all that kind of stuff like that. Um, so all of this had transpired after the quote unquote breakup. But I just, I ain't never really think much of it, which is why I never really thought we was completely broke up. I thought we was on the rocks. We, we were at odds because, you know, of what I had said in the club that time. But it never crossed my mind that this nigga was the new nigga. Like, like, you know, how this nigga gonna be the new nigga when you still answer my phone calls, you know, just a couple of weeks prior, you was, you was in my bed, all this kind of stuff. Like, how is this the new nigga? You know what I'm saying? Like, damn, nigga, we just, like, I mean, let a motherfucker breathe or some shit. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, so, but apparently this was the new nigga, unbeknownst to me. So, um... You know, one thing leads to another, yada, yada, yada. Fast forward a couple of weeks, we get into, um, there's a, I want to say it was a Friday or a Saturday, I'm not sure, but a weekend night. Um, and um, there's a cue party going on, and I'm driving down Southside Boulevard at the time, my phone rings, I pick it up, it's her. And um, she wants to talk to me, so we talk. And I pulled over at that, uh, I don't know what it's called. Shout out to Frank. I think Frank Corleone managed that, that strip club either at that time or has not is now managing that strip club. But whatever the case might be, those of y'all from Jacksonville know which one I'm talking about over there off of Southside and, and Beach. So I pull in over there and I park because she said she wanted to talk to me and she seemed like it was pretty serious. So um, I'm listening to her and she... She tells me that she's pregnant. It's like, whoa. I mean, because you got to understand the lens under which I'm taking all of this in. This is 2010. I'm uh, maybe. What year was that? That was December of 04. It was December of 04 that uh, the girl I was with at that point ended up ended up miscarrying on my bathroom floor. And 2007 was when another young lady decided to have an abortion without talking to me about it. Um, so this is Right, you know what I mean? Like and you don't mean to be scared when, you know, a woman drops something like this on you, but you're scared. Like like I mean like what normal person that's that's that young and not completely prepared wouldn't be a bit scared. It's okay to be scared. It'd be one thing to be fearful and running, and I don't think I was that. I was just scared. So, you know, she tells me this. I go, okay. 
Um, I'm sure that my reaction maybe wasn't indicative of uh of everything that was that I probably should have uh should have reacted with. But hopefully I reacted in a way that was at least semi mature. Um Ultimately we would um we would continue to spend some more time together and try to rebuild our relationship and things like that. And as the weeks would go on, I would do things like, you know, show up with, uh, she called me and say she wants something to eat. I run down to River City Market and go grab Olive Garden, get this exact order that she wanted and bring it to her mom's house. I was just trying to fix it. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like I, I was just doing whatever I could to try to fix it. What I didn't know was in play here was the other guy. Um, I don't, I know that, I know that at some, somewhere in the midst of all of this, she eventually told me that she had slept with this guy. And that initially, initially, I want to be very, very clear on this because this has been a bone of contention for years. Um, initially, she thought the child was mine, but I don't know whether it was through going to the doctor, whether it was through counting the days out herself, whatever the case might be, she had come to a conclusion that it wasn't. Mind you now, she had just told me that it was. Plus, we're in a bad space. We're not in the a communicative sort of interaction. She just seems to be angry. And I thought that that anger was a byproduct of me and a byproduct of the fact that she was young and pregnant and not prepared for it. Um, maybe it was a combination of all of those things. Maybe it was she felt like I wouldn't go away. But this goes back to the how can I completely go away if you don't let me? Meaning that if I call and you pick up the phone, you're not letting me leave. Right. So I've always when I'm always accused of being obsessed and yada, 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 and you just won't leave me alone. Leave me alone. You know, like when I'm accused of all of that in this period of time, I I respectfully disagree with that point of view because, you know, certain things I was good enough for when it came to answering the phone and certain things not so much. But, um, you know, she tells me that, you know, she thinks the baby is something guys. Okay. And I was in a really bad place at this point. Like I was, um, I knew that I had already determined not too long before we get to this place where she's telling me that the baby belongs to somebody else, that I had some drug problems. I mean, there's no secret. I think the whole world knew I had drug problems. If you knew me well enough, you knew I had drug problems. Um, and so I had started seeing a, uh, a, 
therapist, psychiatrist, whatever. Um, and, and trying to get some of this stuff on track. Um, little did I know, kind of was all for naught. Because all this shit was going to fall apart real quick. Now the thing about suicide that I think a lot of people, a lot of people don't understand or tend to have a sense of is usually those of us who attempt to commit suicide don't necessarily want to die, but don't view it as this sort of childish search for attention. It It, it is very much so um, a request for someone to pay attention and recognize the fact that I'm having a series of thoughts that I cannot properly manage my on my own and I need help with that. Um, that's what it more so is than anything else. I think that people who have never experienced that cannot relate and cannot empathize with those who are going through something like that. That being said, um, there are a series of events that lead to me going to see a psychiatrist, as I said, and, um, I'm doing that, but at the same time, things are still not good between she and I. So plus you've got this whole other guy at play here that she now believes is, is the father of this child. So, um, it's tough, man. Um, I think that I just got to a place. We probably had some sort of argument. I don't remember the exact details. She may be able to tell you better than I can. But um, we got into some sort of disagreement, argument, whatever the case might be. And I had just had enough. So I took a series of drugs, um, took a loaded handgun, hopped in my car, and I just started driving. And I drive um, down 9A to JTB, take JTB East to A1A. And I just started driving down A1A. And as I'm driving down A1A, I'm... I'm thinking about I'm thinking about how you know all of my friends are dead Tao's gone Whisper's gone Donnie doesn't like me Gerald doesn't like me and I don't understand why. Why can't I keep any friends? Does Boss Hog really matter to anybody, right? Like, like what am I doing? Like, what am I doing? God doesn't care about people like me. I'm a shitty human being. I'm a shitty human being and I've damaged this this girl that I said I love more than anything in the world 
and her life is all ruined. That's how I viewed it. Her life is all ruined because I couldn't fucking keep my mouth closed. And what if I could have just been a little bit more supportive, right? Better off gone than here, huh? So I'm, I'm driving down A1A. I get the psychiatrist on the phone and I'm talking to her. And she's trying to get me to pull over and I won't pull over. And, you know, we're, uh, we are we continue to talk until we get to that point in A1A where the signal dies out. So the signal dies out. And I was so under the influence and having all these series of ideas that I thought that she just hung up on me. <laughs> so here I am thinking that, that she just hung up on me. And, you know, she, of course, didn't. But I, I didn't know that. And I couldn't get anyone on the phone. So at that point, I I have definitely made up my mind that I'm going to try to go ahead and end this thing. And um, I get down to St. Augustine. And I get down to St. Augustine. And, um... I get to a hotel um, right over there, but I think it's uh, Ripley, believe it or not, or something like that. Um, I get to a hotel right there, and I ask for a room, and um, the guy's like, you sure the room is whatever it was? And I go for my wallet, and I don't have it. <laughs> all this driving around and all of this stuff and remembering to get all of these drugs and having them sitting in the passenger seat while the car's still running. Um all of this shit and I didn't remember to bring a fucking wallet boy so you know the guy starts getting nervous cause he can kinda see I'm I'm not quite not quite right and, you know he tells me I gotta leave so I leave I go down to another hotel and at this point I've called my my best friend who I call my brother Wayne Hill and um you know well, I don't know if I had quite called him at this point. Um, I do know that I get to the other hotel. Um, I stumble out of the car, hit my head on the cement, and apparently I was knocked out for, you know, what what apparently was 20 minutes. But I, I thought it was, you know, a few seconds, maybe a minute or something. And um, so I get up. I walk inside and I ask for a room and I know at this point is when I start talking to Wayne, talking to Wayne on the phone. Wayne knows I'm not in my right mind and um, the lady at the front desk knows I'm not in my right mind. I'm telling her my brother will pay for the room. And I give her the phone. She's talking to Wayne. Wayne's apparently saying something to the effect of please just give him a room so he can stay in one spot. I'll come get him. I'll pay for it over the phone. Um, the only problem is I never make it to the room. I fall over collapse hit a glass table glass goes everywhere blood's all over the place later calls the EMTs EMTs come um they hit me with the defibrillator multiple times I finally get up and when I um when I get up I'm in the EMT vehicle trying to sit up and then they lay me back down put a sedative in my arm go back to sleep I wake up I'm in Flagler County Hospital um the nurse tells me they got to put a tube down my throat. They do that. Then she tells me I'm going to feel a slight pinch in my dick. Way more than a slight pinch when she puts the fucking catheter in. For anybody who, anybody who ever thinks that 
that any of this shit like that's why I don't I don't fucking understand people who say that people who commit suicide are are weak. Fuck you. I got a catheter put in my dick. I'm probably more brave than some of you motherfuckers. <laughs> Cause that is not an experience that you're just like waiting in life to have. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like you're not like Oh, I can't wait till someone sticks a tube in my dick all the way down to my bladder. Like, that's not one of those high moments of your life. So, fuck you guys who feel that way. You don't know shit. You just think you know everything because you think you're better than everybody else. But whatever. So, um, they put uh, active charcoal in my stomach to absorb the toxins in my stomach. They use the catheter to drain my bladder. And then they put me to sleep. When I wake back up, I am handcuffed to a fucking bed in the psych ward of Flagler County Hospital. <laughs> that damn Baker Act. <laughs> that goddamn Baker Act. First call I made was to her. Now granted, you may perhaps find me wandering, perhaps even frolicking through a state of happy mediums and pure, unadulterated madness. You see, you find my language to be a character of false ideals, idle threats. But you don't know where the clicking of the quarry ends and the stone throwing begins. And not the Old Testament sort, no. I'm referring to the sort of killfully bountiful kibbage that can only be described when logic, thought, and kind demeanors end and karakaphobia begins. You see, I fancy phobias, the interesting sort. I want to dance and sleep and make love to them, especially the sort that bring forth the fruit of madness, you see. You live in a world where words are fleeting. They pass the moment they leave your lips, but me, they live with me. Like the blood smeared on the mirror of my subconscious, you see, I have death staring back at me, bub. It might even make me seem tragic to you. And the danger in finding words fleeting, if you're not careful, they can kill you. Like a dark demon tapping on the front door of your hiddenmost secrets facing you. Staring you down like the cold eyes of the great Ernst Wagner. You see, anger leads to hate. Hate leads to madness and madness. Oh, sweet, sweet madness. Madness, my friend. Leads to a hand screwed into the eye of an electric stove with a nail punching the artery. And then it's alive! The heat is on, yes, yes. Madness leads to suffering, my love. Just be still, keep moving, and this will hurt you more than it could ever hurt me. I miss it. The sweetness I once had behind my kind eyes, it was taken from me, and I was stripped naked and murdered by madness and I loved every moment of it so I'm in this damn psych ward dealing with a bunch of people first of all I'm 
I'm of the mindset that these people are way more crazy than I am. <laughs> you know, uh, you know, like people who are talking to themselves and they, they've got a whole bunch of other issues that they ain't got. I'm just emotionally hurt. Like, I'm just a little bit sensitive right now. I'm in my, I'm in my feelings right now. So, um, I don't think that I was quite in the same space as some of the people who were in the psych ward were in. I think that they had a bit more problems than I had, but, um, you know, obviously they take me, they handcuff me. They take off the handcuffs from the, from the bed, tell me where I'm at, tell me what's going on. And I find out that I'm on a 72 hour hold and that, um, in order to be released, I have to attend these, uh, these meetings throughout the day in the psych ward, uh, where we do these group sessions and talk to therapists and all this kind of stuff and make sure to take the medication that they give you and all this, all this stuff. I got to do all of this in order to uh, be released from the 72-hour hole. Otherwise, they can hold me longer. Not looking forward to that either. You know, because, I mean, shit, at this point, I thought I was still going to be going to work. Little did I know. <laughs> and so, um, when I finally got some phone privileges, the first person I called was, was her. Makes the most sense, right? I call her, I tell her what happened. Um, you know, and I... I guess I thought that I was going to get some uh, some understanding, some sympathy that, you know, hey, this person cares about me a lot. I'm impacting their life in a, a very deep and traumatic way. And, you know, whether we end up being together or not, let me try to at least understand what he's going through in the absence of me to see if, you know, I can provide some sort of support because I said, I love this person, you know, you, so what I thought <laughs> again, little did I know <laughs> this goes back to that. She can be a little indignant. Um, you know, she said in some not so uncertain terms that, um, she didn't care. Um, that that was my problem and that you know it didn't matter to her that someone else in her life had attempted to commit suicide before um and that the person just did it just to try to cry for attention the person was weak you know that kind of stuff okay well and she got the phone and told me she never wanted to talk to me again and um I mean, what do you do with that? <laughs> um, some people want me to be mad at her about it. I'm I'm not really mad. No, especially not now. Maybe I was then. I can't say that I wasn't then. Um, but I'm not now. I, I can understand, especially now understanding the psyche of black people and the whole concept of suicide. They only feel like you're serious if you die. <laughs> you successfully kill yourself. Then it was a serious issue. Otherwise, not so much. <laughs> um, you know, and even then, some of them go, oh, well, you know, that's just a person who wasn't strong enough to, to deal with it. Well, everybody's not equipped the same way to make those people seem weak because, you know, they, they decided, to, decided to take their own life. I mean, that's a little fucked up, too, but that's a whole other conversation for a whole other day. You know, there's a podcast about mental health. You can go listen to that. 
But um, she, you know, she she was done. Um, call my parents, call you know some friends and things like that. And uh, I don't know. I think I didn't call her until I got out. But um, eventually I got out, and I made a phone call to a friend of mine named Kiki Varner. Um, and we weren't on the best of terms either. <laughs> um. When um, Kiki and I dated in the summer of 2009, briefly, and um, I ended the relationship because I felt like she wasn't in a place um, from maturity level to be able to deal with being in a relationship with somebody of my stature. And apparently that impacted her in a very deep, uh, deep way. Um, She made a variety of decisions following the end of our relationship. I can't say they were solely connected to me, but you know, some people might connect them to the end of our relationship, but, um, and we just talked. Um, I know she was a little bit concerned about why is this person calling me and laying all this kind of stuff at my doorstep, so on and so forth. And I mean, she really didn't have to, she didn't have to take all this stuff on, but she did. And, she spent a lot of time with me and I appreciate her for that. Um, and I wouldn't really see, you know, when it came to, when it came to my now ended relationship, I wouldn't see her that much, uh, if at all anymore um she decided to be in a relationship with the father of her child the person who she was saying was the father of her child um and that's what she did from you know july until november and over that period of time um I began to suffer from some people call them pseudo seizures. Some people call them non-epileptic seizures um, triggered from the emotional distress that I had gone through. I mean, like I was I was in a really bad place. Those those five, six months, um, um, I didn't eat much. I sort of just kind of stared around. Um, I did go to rehab. I went to River Point. Um, oh, yeah. So, let's talk about this shooting shit, okay? So, I'm in this damn psych ward dealing with a bunch of people. First of all, I'm I'm of the mindset that these people are way more crazy than I am. <laughs> you know, uh, you know, like people who are talking to themselves and they, they've got a whole bunch of other issues that they ain't got. I'm just emotionally hurt. Like, I'm just a little bit sensitive right now. I'm in my, I'm in my feelings right now. So, um, I don't think that I was quite in the same space as some of the people who were in the psych ward were in. I think that they had a bit more problems than I had, but, um, you know, obviously they take me, they handcuff me. They take off the handcuffs from the, from the bed. Tell me where I'm at. Tell me what's going on. And I find out that I'm on a 72 hour hold and that 
um, in order to be released, I have to attend these, uh, these meetings throughout the day in the psych ward, uh, where we do these group sessions and talk to therapists and all this kind of stuff and make sure to take the medication that they give you and all this stuff, all this stuff. I got to do all of this in order to, uh, be released from the 72 hour hole. Otherwise they can hold me longer. Not looking forward to that either, you know, cause I mean, shit, at this point, I thought I was still going to be going to work. Little did I know. <laughs> and so um, when I finally got some phone privileges, the first person I called was was her. Makes the most sense, right? I call her. I tell her what happened. Um, you know, and I, I guess I thought that I was going to get some uh, some understanding, some sympathy that, you know, Hey, this person cares about me a lot. I'm impacting their life in a, a very deep and traumatic way. And, you know, whether we end up being together or not, let me try to at least understand what he's going through in the absence of me to see if, you know, I can provide some sort of support because I said I love this person, you know. You switched so what I thought <laughs> again. Little do I know. <laughs> this goes back to that. She can be a little indignant. Um, you know, she said in some not so uncertain terms that um, she didn't care. Um, that that was my problem, and that you know. It didn't matter to her that someone else in her life had attempted to commit suicide before um, and that the person just did it just to try to cry for attention. The person was weak, you know, that kind of stuff. Okay, well, and she got the phone and told me she never wanted to talk to me again. And, um, I mean, I mean, what do you do with that? <laughs> um... Some people want me to be mad at her about it. I'm I'm not really mad. No, especially not now. Maybe I was then. I can't say that I wasn't then. Um, but I'm not now. I, I can understand, especially now understanding the psyche of black people and the whole concept of suicide. They only feel like you're serious if you die. <laughs> you successfully kill yourself. Then it was a serious issue. Otherwise, not so much. <laughs> um, you know, and even then, some of them go, oh, well, you know, that's just a person who wasn't strong enough to, to deal with it. Well, everybody's not equipped the same way to make those people seem weak because, you know, they, they decided, to, decided to take their own life. I mean, that's a little fucked up, too, but that's a whole other conversation for a whole other day. You know, there's a podcast about mental health. You can go listen to that. But, um... You know, she she was done. Um, call my parents, call, you know, some friends and things like that. And uh, I don't know. I think I didn't call her until I got out. But um, eventually I got out and I made a phone call to a friend of mine named Kiki Varner. Um, and we weren't on the best of terms either. <laughs> um, when um, Kiki and I dated in the summer of 2009, briefly. And, um, 
I ended the relationship because I felt like she wasn't in a place um, from a maturity level to be able to deal with being in a relationship with somebody of my stature. And apparently that impacted her in a very deep, uh, deep way. Um, She made a variety of decisions following the end of our relationship. I can't say they were solely connected to me, but you know, some people might connect them to the end of our relationship, but, um, and we just talked, um, I know she was a little bit concerned about why is this person calling me and laying all this kind of stuff at my doorstep, so on and so forth. And I mean, she really didn't have to, she didn't have to take all this stuff on, but she did. And she spent a lot of time with me and I appreciate her for that. Um, and I wouldn't really see, you know, when it came to, when it came to my now ended relationship, I wouldn't see her that much, uh, if at all anymore. Um, she decided to be in a relationship with the father of her child the person who she was saying was the father of her child um and that's what she did from you know July until November and over that period of time um I began to suffer from some people call them pseudo seizures some people call them non-epileptic seizures um triggered from the emotional distress that I had gone through. I mean, like I was, I was in a really bad place. Those, those five, six months. Um, um, I didn't eat much. I sort of just kind of stared around. Um, I did go to rehab. I went to river point. Um, Oh yeah. So let's talk about this shooting shit. Okay. So let's get this out the way. <laughs> let's go ahead and lay this shit out quite flat. All right, look, I'm in rehab, minding my own business. I go see the main therapist, psychiatrist, head of mental health person over at River Point. She's doing my file. She says, okay, she told you the kid was yours. Then she said it wasn't. Now she's with this other guy. Why is it? Can you guys just get on the phone and maybe just talk? I was like, I don't know if we can get on the phone and talk. You got to lead it up to her. And so um, the lady, 
decides to pick up the phone and call her. So she calls her. She picks up the phone. She tells her who she is. She tells her what she's calling about. She tells her her point of view from a professional, mental health professional standpoint on coming to a place to where we get a better understanding to help me get into a better mental place moving forward. At that point, you would think that the person <laughs> that the person on the other end of the phone would be mature enough to go, okay, well, let, let me at least try to talk through this. Not so much. <laughs> Not so much. She said, I was crazy. I was a psychopath. I was stalking her. Wouldn't leave her alone. Yada, yada, yada. A whole bunch of stuff, right? I got called everything but a child of God. And, um... You know, she told me the baby wasn't his. I don't know why he's bothering me. Yada, yada, yada. All this kind of stuff. You know, this goes back to that whole concept of people, which this is something that we're going to discuss throughout this episode, is how people tend to remember things through the lens of how they wish to view them and how they wish for them to be and not necessarily what they were. So, um... She told the lady she wanted nothing to do with me. She told me, you know, she didn't care what happened to me if I lived, died, yada, yada, yada. She hangs up the phone. I am completely distressed. Like, like I am, I have had it. Like, I am, I am completely done, clocked out, done for the day, mad as hell, ain't gonna take this shit no more. So, I leave <laughs> the river point. And I drive down Beach Boulevard to my, um, I had a storage facility over off of Beach and Southside Boulevard. I drive down there. I go in my storage unit. I go get my guns and my knives, right? <laughs> like fucking Rambo. I don't know what the fuck I was thinking. So, and I drive down to her school. <laughs> and I walk up onto the, I walk up onto the set right where all of the Greek plots are. Mind you now, at this point, I already have a bat Iota tattoo. Like, I have no shirt on. <laughs> you can clearly see Iota Vatheta tattooed on my back. And I'm just like, oh, no, fuck that. I'm going to kill this nigga today. Where this nigga at? Woo, 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 all this kind of stuff. And there's football players looking out the window, and, <laughs> and they're like, this nigga is crazy. Like, yeah, I was crazy. I was out of my fucking mind, right? Like, <laughs> this is a funny guys, kids. If you're listening to your kids, don't do this. Not a good way to handle your emotions. But I, I was completely outside of my mind. Went looking for this guy at the school. Um, somebody called her, told her I was there. She calls me. The guy calls me. I'm like, come out here, nigga. I'm finna kill you today, nigga. Today you're gonna die. Today, not tomorrow, not the day after, not a week from now, not after you get paid, nigga, you're dying today. (laughs) (laughs) I was on some whole other shit, like, you know what I mean? Like, but, um, I ended up getting a call from, um, from one of my cousins who's a a police officer that, that works that area. And, you know, he said in short, yo, B, don't want you to get arrested out here. I know you're going through some stuff. I talked to your dad. B, you got to leave. You can't do this, man. You kill that man. Your whole life going to end. All this kind of stuff, right? And eventually I leave. Um, I ended up getting banned from the school. Hadn't exactly worked out because 
Surprise, surprise, I've been out there a couple times, you know, what it is. So, so um, but I, I got banned from the school, and, um, you know, I'm sure that that didn't really help my case as far as getting her back, I would assume. And for the record, man, rehab fucking sucks, bro. Like, I mean, it, it's not some shit that people look forward to doing. I mean... This is why when when people say, you know, have negative comments about people who are in rehab or people who try to commit suicide or people who go through some sort of mental anguish and they, they talk like they're fucking experts. And it's what I try to explain to people is like no one, no one in their right mind is aspiring to be in a situation to where their life has fallen apart so much that they've got to go to this one place every single day and talk about how their life is fucked up and how to go about getting it better. No one does that. Like, but what I can say about, about rehab for me is it gave me a, a, it forced me to place a mirror up and look at myself for what I really was, because I was always of the mindset that, you know, I was a social drinker and a social drug user and I was a functional human being. I mean, shit, I was making a bunch of money working at State Farm. I was managing artists, managing DJs, doing all sorts of stuff and nothing ever went unpaid. Like, you know, like that was never the issue. Like it was never a situation where stuff went unpaid with me. Um, but did I need drugs in order to get on a mic and say some of the shit that I was going to say? You got right. I did. Like, I was absolutely terrified to be in a crowd sober. And that is not normal. I did not believe that people liked who I was until I put on the mask. I'm in charge. Do you feel in charge? (laughs) But yeah, I mean, like... Until I masked the nerdiness, the quirkiness, the, you know, obsessive compulsive nature of who I truly am with drugs and alcohol, I didn't think that people really liked me very much. So drugs and alcohol is what I did to kind of cope, which is what black people do a lot of the time. We don't resolve problems. We just cope. You know, we just bottled them up. I still got the problem. Haven't resolved it. It sits like an ulcer. Um, I I was in rehab until, God, I don't know, October of 2010. And um, in and out of the hospital because of those seizures. Um, you know, couldn't hold down a job. And I knew that I was going to get fired from State Farm in in December. So I decided to start the process of getting ready to go to grad school. Because I thought, okay, well, I need to do something. And um, I just was having a tough time in Jacksonville. Like, I I could not, I couldn't get it together uh, while I was in Jacksonville. So I said, okay, well, I'll, I'll leave. But I won't go too far. But I can't stay here because I'm not making any headway in recovering. Not necessarily from the drug part, 
I had a couple of relapses here and there, but um, it wasn't that. It was I wasn't recovering psychologically um, by being in the same space with her. And I mean, I I don't particularly blame her, but I, I know she ain't no fool neither. She knew that she would occupy the same space with me. And she knew what was going on. She had heard, you know, the stuff that was going on with me. And she, I mean, she didn't go to UNF. She had never gone to UNF, but now she would show up at UNF functions and things like that fairly frequently. Now, you let her tell it. I'm sure she'll probably say she was just living her life. She wasn't thinking about me. Okay. Um, but to that, I say it's kind of hard not to think about me when you know all this stuff's going on and everybody's telling you what's going on. Yeah, you know, but she was not going to help me make it any easier. So, um, I decided I was just going to pack up and leave and go back to Tallahassee where I had lived, you know, for about a year and a half in the mid 2000s. So going to go to school at, at, at FAM, go to grad school at FAM. And um, I started the process of getting everything set up to to go to grad school. And um, it was December, <laughs> the irony that I met her the December prior it was December of that year, 2010, that um, she emailed me because I think I had her blocked on my phone and a bunch of other ways she couldn't get in contact with me. Um, and so she um, she emailed me and said, "Brandon, I I, I really want to just talk to you." Uh, you know, I wasn't ready to to deal with her. Um, but a, what I will say is addictive personalities have a tendency to to be addicted to a variety of substances and people. And at that point, I was addicted to her in a way that I don't think that I even had the capacity to understand on my own. And so when when she emailed me and said she wanted to talk, I, I couldn't say no. So I called her. We talked. Um she told me that she was out at a at a function. Um and so um she Asked me what I was doing and if I could come get her. I said, yeah, of, of course. Um, so I went and got her. And um, went and picked her up. And she came downstairs. And I mean, you know, do the math back from March 13th of 2011 to December of 2000. Was that like? seven months, something like that, six, seven months. Um, she was pretty fucking pregnant. <laughs> she was pretty fucking pregnant at this point. And, um, she, um, she just talked to me and she, she talked like, like she wasn't sitting there pregnant and we didn't have all these other things that we needed to discuss that we never really, I don't think we ever really discussed those things. Um, we just acted like they weren't things to discuss. So, um, 
but we we talked about us and relationships and how she wasn't with that guy anymore. Um, things didn't work out for a variety of reasons. Um, and I'm not entirely sure if she came into that situation looking for me to to get back with her and fill the void or anything like that. Um, I, you know, I'm sure other people might speculate that that was the case. I try to respect her enough that I don't make any assumptions about something like that, or that's what her sole intentions were. Um, but we, um, we just talked and spent a lot of time together and I had a hotel room over off of, um, JTB and Phillips and, um, she came there and, um, she ended up um, laying into bed with me and spent the night there with me. Um, we didn't have sex. Keep it a buck. I can't say that I didn't try. You nasty boy. You nasty. You nasty boy. You nasty. <laughs> um, but we didn't. We got up in the morning. And, um... We went to Waffle House and we talked some more and I told her where I was going and what I was doing. And she said she wanted to keep talking more. And I was like, well, I don't know if that's a good idea. And we parted, parted ways. And um, um, and I went to Tallahassee. Going back to the corner where I first saw you. Gonna camp in my sleeping bag. I'm not gonna move. Got some words on cardboard, got your picture in my head saying, if you see this girl, can you tell her where I am? Some try to hand me money, they don't understand, I'm not broke, I'm just a broken hearted man, I know it makes no sense, what else can I do, and how can I move on when I'm still in love with you, cause if one day Now, never in a million years did I ever expect to um, be in a relationship with a woman who's pregnant from someone else. Okay? Let's just clear that up right now. Like, this this was not a, a goal checkoff list. This is not, like, uh, the shit that I was trying to, trying to do. I loved her. I just loved her. And I recognize the fact that some niggas will call me a sucker. Some niggas will call me a simp. Some niggas will call me lame. Some niggas will say I lost all my cool points. Some niggas will say turn in your pimp card. All that kind of stuff. And that's cool. Like, looking back on it, like, I'm not I'm not tripping off that shit. But this is not a situation that I was looking to get, to get involved in. I mean, like, who... 
who decides that they want to be involved in this kind of situation? No one. It doesn't make any fucking sense, right? Of course it don't. So, um, six months pregnant, um, give or take, um, we decide that we're going to start trying to build this relationship again and repair what all was damaged. And I don't entirely think that either one of us knew where it would all go. Um, you know, we, we started communicating in January. I came back to visit. I came, um, I came down for some, uh, for some doctor's appointments, came down on the weekends to spend time with her, things like that. And, um, things were good. Things were good. Um, things were good. The biggest thing about her is she was, she's always been, uh, uh, a tremendously stubborn creature and pregnancy did not help that. Um, she was, um, a month out from being, from, uh, giving birth in March of 2011. And, um, was told like, yo, you don't need to be traveling anywhere, yada, yada, yada. But, um, she was adamant about coming to see me. And, um, I was in Tallahassee at the time and I said, baby, you can't, you can't come up here. And she was like, no, I'm coming. And I was like, yo, yo, doctor ain't cool with you coming. You can't come. You know, this woman went and got a note from her doctor to approve her to be able to drive to Tallahassee. And she got hopped in her mom's Sebring and drove all the way to Tallahassee, Florida. The woman was just fucking stubborn for the sake of being stubborn. You know, you you could want her best interest at heart. She's going to do it anyway. You tell her, don't get a tattoo while you're pregnant. She get a tattoo. You tell her, you can't go here. She go. It's just who she was. That's who she's always been. And I think she'll always sort of be that way. So I, um... I travel back and forth. Um, you know, she went to uh, she went to fist with me. There's a photo floating around of her of all of us centaur walking in the stands at that uh, Florida Invitational Step Show in Gainesville, and she's sitting there on her phone. Y'all, y'all, y'all finished or y'all done? <laughs> um, you know, it's just who she was and um and I stayed with her a lot mainly because oh to clarify I ended up not going to grad school at fam there were some issues with my paperwork and so I immediately rolled it over and then just went to University of Phoenix so I had an apartment up in Tallahassee so there was no real reason for me to have to stay there all the time um I just had the I had the apartment so now that she and I were back on terms or in a relationship, um, I would try to be more in Jacksonville than not. And so, um, I remember cause March 13th, 2011 is on a Sunday and that was Saturday night moving into Sunday morning. Um, I'm laying in the bed with her and <laughs> And she rolls over and she wakes me up and she goes back. And I'm like, yeah, what's up? She goes, fuck me. 
What? What? <laughs> what? What, are you, what are you talking about? What, what? Fuck me. So, <laughs> you know me. I'm happy to oblige. <laughs> so, March 12th, moving into March 13th. Um, we did the deal. <laughs> and then about about four o'clock in the morning on March the 13th, she wakes me up and is like, yo, think I'm having contractions now. So some people like to say, I, I moved the needle for, for baby girl to get here. <laughs> I don't know how true that is or not, but you know, you know, I mean, I guess whatever, you know, cool. I guess that that's what it was. Um, and not too long before that, um, I think probably one of the, one of the most meaningful things that ever happened in my life. Um, I, I took her to go get her uh, maternity photos taken. And, um, you know, wearing belk and she's getting the pictures taken and everything like that. And um, I'm just sitting over there waiting for her to finish. And, um, you know, the photographer doesn't know, you know, this is, this is the boyfriend and not the father of the child and, all this kind of stuff. Um, and so, um, you know, the the uh, photographer goes, hey, hey, dad, why don't you jump in the photos? And none of us corrected the lady. And I don't know, you know, whatever. And so I jump in one of the photos and there's, there's a photo short of, you know, her choosing to throw away or delete them all. Um, there's a photo of me um, holding her belly, looking at her belly, and I just I think it's the it's a beautiful photo, and I'm I'm proud to have been a part of that, and and it meant a lot to me, and and just the whole experience meant a lot to me. Um, you know, I was happy to be there those last few months to to be with her through the process um, as much as I could be. Um, and yeah, it was it was wonderful. So fast forward back to March thirteenth, uh, four o'clock in the morning. She um, wakes me up again and says, "Hey, we need to go to the hospital." So we go to the military hospital over on the west side, and um, she's um, you know they decide to keep her, and um, the family starts coming in and all this kind of stuff, and um, you know we move throughout the day of her slowly but surely you know opening up and all that kind of stuff and getting to a place to where you know they feel comfortable enough to um to say all right well we're gonna go ahead and get and get the ball rolling on all this and um it was so so funny like they were waiting for it to get dilated to a certain point i forget what it is um and so it just didn't seem like it was coming. So they, they come like in the mid in the mid afternoon time to check and see like, okay, how's this thing looking? How are things going? And apparently there's a sack of fluid that is supposed to break. And that's how you know, you know, your water is broken or whatever. <laughs> and it was the most disgusting and amazing thing in the world. That damn thing came out came out of her intact completely I mean like the sack like 
It, <laughs> the best thing that I can describe what it looked like to me was, um, you know, like a breast implant before they put it in. Like, a, that's what it looks like to me. So that's all I had to reference it to. Um, but it, that apparently is not normal. <laughs> and uh, all the doctors come in and they're all just standing around her. And she's sitting in the, she's sitting there with her legs cocked open. She got a blanket covering up her, her business and whatnot. But, you know, all these doctors are standing around looking at this thing like this is the most amazing shit to, to ever happen in the history of ever them. And I just thought that that was just kind of the weirdest thing in the world. So, um, you know, during this whole time, I'm sitting there doing my homework and she talks about she told me in the past that she was mad. Apparently I was eating and doing all this other stuff and everybody was eating around her. And she was mad because she could only eat ice chips and all this kind of stuff. So, you know, she, she's angry or whatnot. And then I eventually go and take her little brother to go get something to eat from the McDonald's on base. And right as we're pulling into the drive-thru to get her little brother something to eat, I get a phone call saying that she's giving birth. And I'm talking about, like, I, I broke all military laws and everything. I'm speeding through this place, right? <laughs> just just tell it, like, all some movie type shit. Pull the car up to the front of the hospital. Jump out of the car. I don't even know if I took my keys. I run upstairs because the elevator was tripping, man. By the time we get up, by the time we get up to the top, because, I mean, it was a Sunday. There really wasn't that many people there. By the time we get up there, you can hear baby girl crying. She's already here. <laughs> so, uh, um, for all of that waiting around I did, I actually missed the arrival, you know? <laughs> and um, that was that was a big day. I think that was a big day for both of us. Um, and then when we talk about what it means to be a parent, what it means to be a father, what it means to love someone unconditionally, we all know now that I'm not baby girl's biological father. That's not something that I think, if you didn't know, was surprise. Spoiler alert. If you haven't read the book, um, or any of the three books for that matter, you, you're kind of late to the party. You're like seven years late, but, well, six years late. She's six. Um, you know, um, I'm not her biological father, but, um, on that day, in that moment, there, there was no one else. It was just us, you know. Um, we were all that we had. And um, I got to, I think I was a third person to hold her. Yeah, I was a third person to hold her. Um, and, I'm, you know, for those of you who have seen the photos, me in this yellow and black uh, button-up shirt and I'm sitting in a chair while the, the nurse is uh, checking her vitals. And I'm just, I'm looking at her and I'm absolutely amazed. Just a little 
little pink face and you know eyes half open half closed and you know all the hair slicked back and just the most perfect thing I had ever seen in my entire life eyes half open half closed and she turned her head towards me or whatever and you know you you like to think that she was looking at me she was probably just trying to focus her eyes or whatever but um it was at that moment that whatever I had that could keep me from being emotionally attached to her completely eroded I was hooked that was it she was mine loved her didn't matter what happened from this point moving forward that's my daughter that's it and I I, I think even her mother at that point was, was sort of in that space I mean I'm talking about in that moment. I'm not talking about the moments after when we get back to a place to where we're mature adults and we're thinking through how we exist in the world and the framework of all of this and how everything looks and feels and yada, 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 yada. At that moment, I'm her father. So when you motherfuckers like to come to come for me and tell me what I am and tell me what I'm not and tell me how I should feel. And tell me how I shouldn't feel and tell me what I should and what I shouldn't let go of. What I say to you. With all the respect, I have the capacity to extend. Is you weren't there that day. Mind your damn motherfucking business, bitch. Little stupid bitch. Little dumb teaching, bitch. Two plus two not knowing what the fuck it is, bitch. You weren't there that day the man that's supposed to be her biological father was not there that day it was me her her mother her grandmother her godparents and her mother's siblings that's it So as she has said, as her mother has said, that moment was real for both of us. And when I let you hold her, because you were the first, my mother held her first, and then you held her. My mother held her, I held her, you held her. And when I watched you hold her, I was like, you know, well, maybe I can, I can have my family like I always wanted. That's why I couldn't, wouldn't, and haven't walked away. Now, to lay to rest some of the rumors and speculation about things that I had said, things that I had done as it related to baby girl's paternity. Let's let's make something perfectly clear. Um her mother would eventually get a DNA test and we are very clear that she is not biologically mine. Um, 
were there some people who I said to when asked if a DNA test had been done, were there people who I led to believe that the DNA test had gone in my favor? The answer is yes. Why did I do it? Because I was afraid of dealing with how people would view me by making the choice that I made because I was a coward. Simple and plain. I have, n- I have no one to blame that on but myself. Um, that was not a reflection on how I felt about Baby Girl. It was more solely a reflection on my cowardice and my unwillingness to accept things for what they actually were and be able to be brave enough to face it despite what anybody might think. I ain't never said I was perfect. So now that that's been laid to rest so that there can be no more speculation that the words have not come out of my mouth because that I know that there has been constant rhetoric that has been placed on social media specifically by baby girl's mother that I'm leading the world to believe something that isn't true find that kind of odd because there are three books one of which she's quoted in that all provide this transparent narrative that baby girl is not biologically mine so if that is out there in the public but other people choose to believe whatever it is that they want to believe like how can I be held accountable for that but We'll get to that place about all of that kind of stuff. Just to clarify the point and nail that point home. I made some poor decisions and wasn't honest about some stuff with some people because I was concerned about what other people thought. 33 years old. I really don't give a fuck what you niggas think. Pretty comfortable in my own skin now. I wasn't then. I don't. And it's frustrating that. Baby girl's mother can't understand why that might be something that might be challenging for me. But she's entitled to feel how she feels. She's a human being that went through some stuff too. And I can say, hindsight being 2020, me making statements like that to some people, I can imagine how that makes her look. But it's not like she didn't tell me at some point that she thought the kid was mine. So I was always sort of questioning it. And I, I'm, I keep it a buck. I don't think that I was very clear because I, like most men, I'm simple-minded. I've always thought the whole concept of nine months as opposed to the actual 10 months of pregnancy uh, from conception, you know, and being able to count the days back and, and all that kind of stuff. They do all that shit when you go to the doctor, but if you're a man who's pretty much ignorant to it, you just count nine months back and go, well, where you know, I mean, you know, but, you know, DNA test was done very clear who the biological father of baby girl is. It's not me. So, but I operated as a father. Um, you know, my parents operated as their grandparents. You know, no one ever said, go to the, go on, go on, baby girl, go on over to the, uh, to the guy pretending to be your dad. No, go, go to your daddy. You know, 
Some people might say Daddy Brandon, you know, stuff like that. Um, but we just lived like we, you know, like that's why I like when when I'm questioned about this, it's like I, I don't view her as anything else other than my daughter. Like, how could I view her as anything else but that, you know? Um, but I had a ball, man. I, I'll say that. Like, I absolutely enjoyed spending time with her, watching her sleep, watching her wake up, watching her play, listening to her laugh. All of that was some of the greatest moments of my entire life. And I have nothing to, nothing but admiration and and love uh, for her mother for that. Um, I traveled back and forth from Tallahassee to Jacksonville and eventually it would just get to a point to where I pretty much would spend most of my time in Jacksonville. Um, Being very candid, I still had a relationship going on with Kiki Varner at the time. Um, When Baby Girl got here, I did tell Kiki that I wanted to focus on the relationship with Baby Girl's mother. And she respected that. I think that she wanted me to make different decisions, but she respected it. Um, I think that um, I could have managed that situation better. I didn't. I didn't entirely trust that baby girl's mother was going to be transparent with me. Um, I was always slightly afraid that she was going to leave, that she was going to cheat on me and all that kind of stuff. Because that's what happened the first time. And that hurt a lot. And and then all of the stuff that she had said about me on social media, you know, when I was going through the seizures and all that kind of stuff. Like, even though she had come back, I don't think I had entirely forgiven her. So in turn, I never was in a place to where I was like, okay, I'm going to completely cut off all other relationships that I have going on, specifically the one with Kiki to dedicate myself to this relationship with her. And in do not doing those things, and then she would find things out. She'd find out I'm text messaging Kiki, or she'd find out that I was saying this thing or doing this thing or, or, or you know, hear that I was out somewhere, or whatever the case might be. Um, you know, she began to resent me. Then she would do something nefarious. Then I'd find out about it. And then... You know, we just were never completely honest with each other. I think we were great parents together. I think we we both loved baby girl a lot. Um, you know, but there was, you know, it was always it was always this competition of who's doing more. You know, I, I, I you know, hindsight being twenty twenty, or her looking back on me in the negative lens that she chooses to look at me at, in now. Uh, she likes to tell people that I, I wasn't that engaged. I wasn't as involved as I lead people to believe that my mother was more involved than I was and all this kind of stuff. And to that, I say, go ask my mama. <laughs> like, you know, you know, like, I, I don't know where, I don't know where this notion comes from that 
I wasn't engaged or I wasn't involved or that I somehow handed baby girl off to my mom and then I walked in the room and played video games. Like, it wasn't that at all. And those who were around me knew that. And I've, I've always wondered how someone who was at work at the times where I would have baby girl not with her can tell me what I was doing when she wasn't there. I always wondered that. But whatever. Um, 2011 was just, uh, it was a great time. Um, I remember our, uh, the first time we took her out in public. I didn't think it was a good time to take her out in public. Um, there was a, a regional meeting for IOTA, and we took her out to the beach not that long after she had just been born. And I was a little hesitant at the time, um, you know, but we covered her up. And even there, like, like that was another thing. Everybody goes, oh, my God, is that your baby? Yeah. You know, we didn't, you know, we're not sitting out here at this event going, well, actually, she's not biologically mine. She's actually biologically someone else's, but I'm raising her and I'm with her mother and we're in a relationship. So we've created this uh, convenient family. And there's no saying that, you know, if this relationship doesn't work out, whether or not this is going to be a permanent thing and how we approach this or not. We ain't do all that. We just out there. Like, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, what the fuck, bro? Like, so she's my daughter in the story. And that's how I'm living my life. And, you know, when she gets her ears pierced and I hand her off to her mother, because I'm like, you know what? She's going to come crawling to somebody else once this, uh, once this thing goes through her ear. And sure enough, we're in the Regency Square Mall at Claire's. She gets her ears pierced. The first time that thing went through her ear, her eyes lit up <gasps> like she had been betrayed. Like, I mean, like if she, <laughs> she could have said it, she would have said, it's too brutal. <laughs> and she just literally jumped out of her mother's arms and came to me. I said, oh, yes, come to daddy, baby. Oh, your evil mama. How could she do this to you? Oh, yes, come to daddy, you know. <laughs> things like that and, and the, the swings um, over off of uh, over in Arlington um, we played at the park and just taking pictures together and just you know the first fatherhood celebration that, that she got to go to and man it was just man she was it was just so good it was just so good But it wouldn't stay that way. Cause I can't make you love me, no. If you If you don't 
walked in that house in December of 2011, I didn't walk in thinking that that was going to be the last time that I made love to her. It just, you know, it's kind of one of those things that never crosses your mind. But when you look back at it, you look at um, what all something like that means to you, you know, how it's a moment uh, that that kind of will always stick with you, you know, that kind of thing. But when it's happening, you don't really have a sense of all of that. You know, you have this grandiose perspective after the fact of how important that moment is in relationship to everything else and what it means as it ties into all the other things that make up the relationship that the two of you have together. And I'll say this, that that day that she walked downstairs and she had that towel on and she just, she took the towel off and we went in the guest room and we made love for the last time. Um, I can say that it was equally as meaningful for me, as fleeting as the the actual act may have been. It was as meaningful for me as it was the first time. It was. It it sits as a meaningful moment, right up with the day that I the night rather that I told her that I loved her. Um, and I say all that because I was so emotionally invested in ways that I think that because of all of the other stuff that was constantly overtaking us, whether it was things that I was saying, things that she was saying, me reflecting on what she had said on Twitter her reflecting on what I had said on Facebook, her reading a Facebook post from inside my phone, me reading her journal and things that she had admitted to having said and done and all this kind of stuff. At that moment, I was just looking through her eyes into her soul and breathing in and out and I was with her and um, when it was over I asked her what this all meant and she she said why can't you just be here right now why are you why can't you just be here and I don't know I guess she left me again that day and so we would roll into 2012 and that would be the last time that we would be intimate with each other um, and I think that, I don't know, probably around February, I think that she started talking to someone else. Um, we were very much so two ships passing in the wind. I would try to fix things. I just, I just kept trying to fix it. Um, keep in mind, I'm still dealing with Kiki at the time. Um, maybe I could have fixed it if I would have just put all of that down, but in my mind, it just didn't make sense to. So, um, I kept trying to fix it, uh, you know. Um, and there, there have been some comments about this, um, this WrestleMania 
thing. And to that, I'll say this. Um, I know she made some comments on social media years back about how Kiki got a secondhand vacation. And that's not accurate. That's not accurate at all. The truth is, is that she didn't want to go. And because she didn't want to go and had made light of it, I asked Kiki if she wanted to go and she did. And um, we went and we had a good time. Um, maybe if she would have said yes, situation would have been different. But to belittle Kiki by saying, oh, you're just getting a secondhand vacation and all this kind of stuff. It's like, yo, that's childish. Like, who does that? Um, so I just want to dead that, but, um, it was just that it seemed like for everything that I was trying to do to fix it, she would counter it with this level of anger and frustration and hate and hostility that would make it difficult to even try to repair the situation. I think that as I've said before, I think that she was already dealing with someone else and like she hadn't been the first time she wasn't being transparent about that and in not being transparent, not to say that she's the only person here not being transparent. I think that it's very clear that I wasn't being transparent either. Okay, so this isn't a blame game. But because she wasn't being transparent about being with someone else. Neither one of us ever moved on. Like, you know, I'm still picking baby girl up from the daycare that, you know, my frat brother's mother runs. I'm still dropping her off. She's still at my parents' house. All of this stuff is still taking place. We're still operating as parents. And, um, I think somewhere in um somewhere um after baby girl's first birthday I ended up having to go to Tampa for a job interview and I think that I think the baby girl's mother resented me for that like she didn't think I needed to leave when I needed to leave I was there for the birthday party and I left in the middle of the birthday party so that I could get down there on time so that I wouldn't so I could prepare myself for the interview because everything that I was doing was to try to generate revenue for myself and for our family. And I guess baby girl's mother didn't believe that to be the case. And baby girl looked amazing on her birthday. She had the the little door to explore outfit and the you know, just the cutest little face in the world. She was sick. If you ever seen the photos, you know, her face is all red and snotty and all this kind of stuff. But she was just, she was the cutest little thing in the world that day. Um, but I, I went on the job interview because I had been fussed at about not having a job. So I'm trying to correct the problem, but yet still mad at me for going when I went. So... I don't know, not too long after that, when I came back, um, she wouldn't, uh, 
she wouldn't let me see baby girl, you know, just petty stuff, you know. And then, um, and then her car broke down. She needed a jump. And she called me out of the blue after she hasn't called me for a couple of weeks and asked me to come jump her car. Of course, I come jump the car to find out that she is moving into a new apartment. Um, didn't tell me that either. Um, I help her, uh, get the car jumped and, um, we start communicating again and she starts saying that I can see baby girl again and all that kind of stuff. And there's a couple of times that I, I get to see her and, and everything like that. And, but, um, probably the most memorable moment is, uh, the day before Father's Day in 2012, um, when I hadn't seen her for a while and I went to pick her up and I, um, I go by her mother's new apartment and her mother won't let me come inside. And, um, she says, just wait here. I'll, I'll bring her out. And so, you know, I'm sitting outside, sitting on top of my car and, um, she opens the door and that little head pops out. <laughs> and so she steps out of the door. She's got on this little yellow outfit. She steps out of the door. She looks at me. She looks back at her mama. She looks at me. She looks back at her mama. She looks up into her eyes. And her mother said, go on to your daddy. And she took off, boy. <laughs> she took off and ran to me. She runs up to me. I grab her and pick her up and hug her. And she just laughs. And she just smiling. And she looking in my face. And I just, I just, man, like, I just felt so full, like, that was a really good day, like, <laughs> and so I end up, um, I end up taking her, um, to the fatherhood celebration that my fraternity was doing, and, um, you know, by the way, she shit everywhere, like, I, I don't know what that was about, but she shit all day long, I went through probably about, about 10 diapers, <laughs> um, and we just had a good, we had a good day that day, it was a little hot, because I mean, she's so light skinned, she's so fair skinned that that uh, she started turning red. So I ended up taking her back to um, back to her mother's house a little bit early, um, and you know we, we talked about you know spending some time together a couple of days later and stuff like that, and we parted ways. I had no idea that that would be up until that point, up until. 2015 that would be the last time that I would see baby girl
let me just start out by saying this that she had the right to move on if she wanted to I would have preferred if she had just said something I wouldn't have continued to to waste her time or mine but she never said anything I just had to find out that she was pregnant again maybe she felt like she didn't have to explain this up to me and that's fine I mean you know hindsight being 2020 she didn't she didn't have to explain this up to me so I get it I just would have preferred that if I had mattered to her at all she would have said something but different people handle things different ways she decided to to make those moves and it was at that point that I made the decision to make moves for myself and much like I had recognized in December of 2010 I recognized in uh, in uh, October of 2012 that it probably was in my best interest to to leave the city and just sort of give it to her just you know my life had fallen apart I was no longer a, a recognizable promoter no one would take me seriously I was having seizures and none of this stuff is going to fix itself I can't see baby girl what am I sitting here doing so um, I graduated from grad school in 2012 and I just decided to pack up all of my stuff and take an opportunity that was presented to me to work for J.B. Hunt um, that would move me to Fayetteville, Arkansas and I'm, I moved to Fayetteville, Arkansas um, not knowing if or when I would ever get to see Baby Girl again and disappointed I mean, what father wouldn't be if, you know, their child matters to them? Keep in mind that, you know, as I've said previously, I did not view her as someone else's child that I was raising. I viewed her as mine because over the course of her life up to that point, you know, there really hadn't been anybody else. I think she had seen her biological father a couple of times, um, but nothing of real note, um, you know. I was the, the day in day out guy um, and I was proud of that and I'm still proud of that um, and so life would go on um, it wasn't easy as life went on I mean uh, you know I talked about her a lot to other people um, there were photos of baby girl scattered throughout my home um, I would often um you know, in fits of rage, if I would post something or take a picture where there was a picture of baby girl in the background, I would get little fits of rage from her mother. Thought it was childish, you know, but whatever. You know, when you start seeing stuff on your Facebook page, getting flagged for inappropriate pornography, stuff like that, like, and they're specifically photos that are a photo of something in the house 
that just so happened to also show a photo of you and baby girl and that particular photo is getting flagged, you know the game that's being played here. Now, to those people who are on my social media who have spent the last, oh, I don't know, four or five years now um, waiting and monitoring and um, hoping for the day where they can rub their hands together and go, oh, they're going to picture a baby girl. I'm finna go tell her mama. Let me tell you something. You motherfuckers can eat a dick because let me tell you something about me. I'm the realest nigga in this bitch. And every time I do a podcast, if you look over my left shoulder on the wall at that photo that you can't see, because it's dark, it just happens to be a shadow. I ain't hiding it from you motherfuckers. There are four pictures of baby girl playing with my nephew. On the on the edge of the desk over here is her asleep in my arms with me with a gray t-shirt on. On this desk by the printer is a picture of her and me together at that fatherhood celebration, which was the last time I saw her up until 2015. There's a picture on my stand here where my watches sit to my right of me in baby girl's mother's house sitting in a chair holding her in my arms with some white shorts on and a gray wife beater making faces at her as an arm baby. I say all that to say this. Feel free, motherfuckers, from now on, when I take photos in my goddamn house, feel free to tag photos of anything that you see that may have her in it. Them photos ain't going nowhere. I ain't ashamed of it. Y'all ain't gonna make me ashamed of it. You ain't gonna make me feel like a bad person about it. She is a part of my life that matters to me. And if it doesn't fit the narrative that you deem appropriate, or if it doesn't fit the narrative that her mother may have presented to you about me, that's fine. But what I would encourage you to do Rather than feeding into a narrative that you have been told is true. Why don't you ask some questions? So. Twenty twelve moves into twenty thirteen. Twenty thirteen moves into twenty fourteen. It was right at the end of twenty thirteen. Then I got an opportunity to move from Fayetteville to Atlanta. I took it. It made me an intermodal fleet manager. Um, up until that point, I was learning my way through logistics on the brokerage side. So I took this job as an intermodal fleet manager for J.B. Hunt out of Atlanta. Shout out to Tyler Wheeler. Um, and... um. And moved into an apartment and somewhere in between moving into that apartment and all this kind of stuff, I ended up going on baby girl's grandmother's page because she ended up being a suggested friend. So I clicked on it just to see how, how she was doing. And there was a picture of baby girl with another little girl. I assumed the child was her mother's second child. 
wasn't sure because I didn't go digging deep down the rabbit hole. I saved the photo, cropped out the second child, um, printed out the photo, put it in a frame, put it in my house. I don't know if that makes me psychotic. Um, I guess to some people that does. I, I didn't view that as me being psychotic. I, it's just a photo to me of somebody that I loved and was like, okay, well, you know. And I didn't know the other little girl. <laughs> like, yeah. You know, it, it, it wasn't this. I, I honestly didn't think it that far through. You know, I, I'm sure some people would like to think that there was some sort of Machiavellian scheme. <laughs> oh, yes. An updated picture of baby girl. I will confiscate this and I will I will tell a narrative of how I saw her when I when I took this photo like no nigga like no nobody thought it that far through like like what is wrong with you people why do you think that somebody think thinks that much about a situation that you're thinking it through in that way like wh- what so anyway I had the photo I took a picture I took a picture of my house, like, you know how you take those pictures when you first move in and you're letting people see what everything looks like and how everything's laid out? And boy, oh boy, I had no idea that there was going to be a tangent that would be had about that picture. So, I mean, like, I got called everything but a child of God on Twitter that day. (laughs) And I ain't never been one to think much of what I'm called on Twitter. You know, I, I just, I've come to accept the fact that that is, this is, that's part of the reason why I don't have a Twitter because that is her social media platform. I got Facebook. She got Twitter. We both got Instagram. (laughs) And none of those shall meet. (laughs) Like that's, that's kind of how my approach to it. She, you know, she does what she does on Facebook I do what I do on Facebook. She does what she does on Twitter. I ain't got one. And we both got Instagram and we both got each other blocked now. But I guess somebody saw the photo in the background and then goes to her and either says, because uh, that, that's the only way this could happen unless she was stalking my page. But we're going to assume that that's not what was taking place. We're going to say that one of her friends sees that photo in the background of my series of photos of my house, tells her about it. And then she goes off on a tangent about it. Like, like, like I, like, like I was hacking pages and maneuvering my way through all of these photos and all this kind of stuff. It's it's insane. It's absolutely insane that you can go from loving, loving somebody and having a family with somebody to being upset with them for taking a picture off of social media of what essentially had amounted to a family member of theirs. You know, like I was good enough for her to be my daughter until you decided that she, that I wasn't <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, you know, like, and I'm just supposed to go, oh, okay, well this was fun. Like, thanks for letting me do this. Like, no, like, no, like I love her. Like what you want me to do, bro? Like, I'm sorry. I feel this way. I don't know what to tell you. So, um, that was probably one of the, one of the most noteworthy times that, you know, 
a scene was made about something like that. Um, and during all of this time, every, every I don't want to say every because she'll probably come back and correct me, but just about every Christmas, I'd like to say every birthday, most Mother's Days, I either sent a gift card for baby girl. And on Mother's Days, I would send a, an email or text or, or something. I don't know if she got them all, but, you know, I did that um, in 13 and in 14 for those three major holidays. Because I didn't want to overwhelm her, but I didn't I didn't want to be the person who just didn't do anything for their daughter, you know. Like, I didn't want to be that guy. Um, and I think it was in 15. Um, either before her birthday or right around her birthday. So in March, um, I got an email. Again, the irony of this email deal. Um, from baby girl's mother saying that she wanted to talk to me. Okay. And so, um, I get on the phone with her and I'm in a much better space now. I'm working for night transportation as their recruiter and then driver manager. And I'm proud of what I'm doing. And I'm in a much better mental space. Um, I'm much more confident. I'm not having seizures anymore. I'm in a much better space than I had ever been in, him in quite a long time. And so I made the phone call and we start chatting it up and, um, she's telling me about some things that she was trying to do and how me mentioning baby girl on a birthday or something, cause somebody's probably following me on social media again, which these people really need to get a life. But, um, that, that was making it difficult for her to do some of the stuff that she was trying to get done. So I said, okay, cool. No problem. I, I can take the stuff down. We talked and I asked her how she was doing and she told me that. She wasn't well and, you know, she had some, some medical issues and things like that. And, um, you know, I told her I'd be praying for her and check up on her and all that kind of stuff. And she could stay in touch and all that kind of stuff. Um, and, um, yeah, I mean, and we just started communicating again, but this time it wasn't, it wasn't romantic at all. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't think it was like, I don't think that that was something either one of us thought was was in the cards um you know at this point she's got three beautiful daughters um but she wasn't in the the best uh health state um I know I talked to her when she was in the hospital um I know you know and there were a couple of times that you know I would send stuff for baby girl you know send it with my mom's name on it like, <laughs> you know, like, you know, so obviously I have her address now because she's giving it to me and, um, you know, just, just sending gifts periodically, sending clothes, sending gifts, sending gift cards, you know, whatever I can do to, to be of, of help in whatever way I can. Cause I recognize the fact that there's been another man playing the role that I was playing in baby girl's life that's more identifiable than I would be. I know how I view her emotionally, 
But at this point, I'm not even concerned about a title or, you know, what people call me or how I'm viewed and all that kind of stuff. I'm just, I just want to support in any positive way that I can. And um, I remember getting, uh, you know, her mom saying, hey, I'm putting on FaceTime and you guys can talk. And so we get on FaceTime for the first time. She's not paying me any attention. I think she was watching a movie or something. Um, but just getting to see her and her go, hi, you know, and all that kind of stuff. It was, that was really great. Like I, you know, that meant a lot to me. And then her mom sent me, um, you know, a bunch of photos and she sent them to me in an email talking about Ashton growing up. And I got to, to just literally watch all these videos or these photos of her growing up. And then she told me that she had gotten all of the gift cards that I had sent over the time that we were apart. And that one of the gift cards she used to purchase a, a blanket that baby girl just carried around all the time. So it was nice to know that, like, on some level, like, I was kind of always there. You know what I'm saying? Like, that was really cool. Um, and, you know... You know, she um, ended up coming down to Jacksonville to visit. And um, I, I asked her if I could, if I could see baby girl. She said, yeah, you know, and um, we arranged a, a meeting at the zoo. And so we we met at the zoo. And man, when I tell you, I I was nervous. It was it. it like I, my hands were sweating, you know, I'm, I'm just sweating like a, like a, like a prostitute in church. Like, I <laughs> like, cause I haven't seen her in all this time. And I just had been waiting. And now it was like, this moment is here. And it's like, Oh my God. Like, you know, I feel like I'm gonna throw up. Like, 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 like I just, I, I don't know what to say. I, I don't know what to, I feel like Ricky Bobby. I, I don't know what to do with my hands. <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm just, completely overwhelmed and I, I called her mother and I was like yo like I'm so excited but I'm completely overwhelmed I'm nervous she's like why are you nervous like it's not a big deal like I was like it's not a big deal for you because you see her every day and she said point taken she said it's gonna be fine and so you know they all get out of the car and we go in the zoo and at first, she's a little bit, you know, I ask her, you know, does she want to touch the stingrays and, and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And she's just like, no, and, you know, she she won't even interact with me. And we got to the train um, to go around the um, to go around the park. And. Um, she looked at me and, you know, I, I think her mother had said something to her, but then she looked at me and then she looked up and then she picked up, put her arms up, like in that motion to pick her up. So I just scooped her up and I put her up on my shoulders. And there's a photo. I don't know if it's still on the internet, in the ethos of the internet, but there's a photo of her when she was, when she was little. And um, it's in my house, or my mom's house rather, of her sitting on my shoulders and she's just making this, she's got this huge smile on her face and I've got both of her little hands in my hands. And it just felt like that all over again. And there couldn't have been another a man happier than me that day. 
And so we're on the train and and she's, you know, talking to me about the you know, the animals and everything and I'm just I'm just taking it all in. I'm listening to everything she's saying, right? And um you know, uh, right as we're about to get off the train, she 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 looks me in the face and And she looked at her mom and she looked me in the face and she grabbed both sides of my head and she leans in and and she goes, I know you. She said she knew me. And it took everything in me to keep from crying. Because I I don't know, you know, like you never know, you know what I mean? Like you you don't actually know if that's what she meant, but like whether she meant that in that sense that like she remembered me from all those years ago or not is irrelevant. All I know is that how that made me feel. <laughs> and that, that was so cool. That was so cool. Unfortunately, the day didn't end quite like I wanted it to because we ended up leaving early because all the kids were really upset and it was hot and it was just kind of taxing on them and then you know there was this whole deal with the icy and her mother mixed up her icy when she wanted it the way that she wanted it and so um we ended up leaving earlier than I anticipated but I told her I wanted to you know told her I wanted to see baby girl again and she said yeah we we, we might be able to arrange something or all this kind of stuff and we went through through the fall and into the winter, you know, not really arranging anything. I think I had come back once. Um, and um, we had uh, we had seen each other at Sam's before I had to leave town. Matter of fact, that was uh, that was Founders Day weekend for the fraternity. And so, um, you know, there were there was this comment that she had made after, you know, the first time that we had seen each other in 2015 that baby girl didn't have a good time. Um, that's what she said. Baby girl, had told her. And I I sort of disagreed with that narrative, not because I, I think that that's not what she said. I think that she may have felt that way. Because children are children and her last experience is what she's going to give you her point of view based on. And if we left sooner than she wanted to leave and we left after she was upset about an icy, she's going to tell you she had a bad time. And. You know, but. Me trying to explain it to her mother and do it in such a way to where I don't create because I'm. I'm tiptoeing around, which probably was a mistake on my part. I should have just been confident enough to be myself and dealt with whatever came with that. 
but instead I was sort of overly cautious um, and in doing so I don't think I was the truest form of myself and maybe baby girl picked up on that too you know because kids can tell when you're nervous um, and so um, we ended up scheduling something for Christmas of that year of 2015 um, and like it was a big deal to me like you know because my family doesn't really celebrate Christmas like that um, you know but I wanted it to be something that mattered to her so I bought clothes and shoes and you know black baby dolls because her mother got on me about that the last time I had bought a gift um, making sure that I bought dolls that were kind of identified with black beauty and the perspective of what baby girl needed to identify with for positive reinforcement purposes and all that kind of stuff okay so like I had I had spent easily you know five six hundred dollars on stuff getting prepared for you know for the holiday and I came down and I called and her mother didn't pick up the phone and you know we we get through um we get through I was supposed to see her on Christmas and I don't know what happened but the the day of her mother didn't answer the phone and you know just a variety of things and then she told me to call her the following morning when I finally was able to get her via text on Christmas. It's like, hey, what happened? What's going on? What are we doing? Like, you know, and she was like, oh, well, call me in the morning. And so I called the following morning um, and said, hey, you know, you up? And she was like, I wasn't until you woke me up. And it just seemed like there was some sort of negative energy that was already there. And, you know, I'm trying to work through the negative energy still tiptoeing around tiptoeing around her because I don't I don't want to say or do anything to where this doesn't happen and so she's like let me get everything situated because I was planning on going down to South Florida and I'll call you back alright so I left my phone put my phone down went out into my parents living room and talking to my other parents and telling them how we're supposed to be doing this today and all this kind of stuff and then when I went back to my phone, I had a series of text messages talking about, uh, you've been telling people you were coming to see her and, you know, see, this is why I can't trust you. And, I was, and even now, I don't know what she was talking about. I have no idea. I don't, I don't think that I was like going on social media, telling everybody, Hey y'all, I'm finna go see baby girl. Like, like I don't remember doing that. Um like I I just I don't. Um I know my frat brothers knew what I was in town for, and I'm sure other people may have known what I was in town for because I didn't know I was supposed to be lying. Like everybody knows that I don't celebrate Christmas like so they know I'm not like arbitrarily gonna come home for that. So like I, and even if I had like we had been in such a good place from when she called me in March of that year 
until then that you would think that she would be comfortable enough to just talk to me about whatever it was that she was angry about. But she never once picked up the phone and talked to me. She just cut me off. Now I'm sitting with all of these gifts and I've got to go back home and I'm completely disappointed. So I go back home and um, the next business day, I cut all of the, um, the SKUs out of all of the boxes, out of all of the toys. I put them in a box and I mailed them shits to her mother's house because you going to have to you gonna have to throw that stuff away or give it to her. One of the two. I'm fine with either. But no one's going to say that I didn't do what I said I was going to do. And that's what I did. And I got a text message back telling me, don't you ever send nothing to my mama house and all this kind of stuff. And the same house that I had sent stuff to before. But now that you don't want it now, I'm not supposed to send anything. So, um, And that hurt. That hurt a lot because all this happened without any explanation because I truly don't know. If she's listening to this, I don't know what you're mad about. And I don't know what you're talking about from Christmas of 2015. Didn't know then, don't know now. So we wouldn't speak through 2016. I did the same thing I'd always done. Send a gift card for her birthday. Digital gift card to her, to her mother, to baby girl's mother's email. Wish your mother happy Mother's Day and keep it moving. Um, I'm not sure if I sent something on Christmas. I want to say I did. I could be wrong. Of this past year of 2016. Um, I know recently, like in the past calendar year, there was either something I posted or something I said or something that I did that incited a reaction from her and she called me and I just didn't feel like arguing with her so I hung up the phone in her face because I felt like until you can calmly and maturely explain to me whatever it was that you were mad about that led you to be so Vindictive on Christmas of 2015 ain't shit you need to be talking to me about what I'm doing, not doing, saying, not saying. I'm just, I'm not in the mood. I'm too old and I'm not in the mood to argue. So I hung up the phone. She called back. She left a message. And then um, she left a message talking about how she was going to go to my parents' house and they are, they're going to get me to stop whatever it was that I was doing. I don't, I don't remember. And so she does. She goes to my, um, she gets in her car and she goes to my parents' house. The same parents that when she took that girl from me, she took them from them. So them same parents, them, them same parents and that same dad that she was afraid to interact with um, the second go around of our relationship. Them same people. She went over there and bothered them. Mind you now, every single time that something like this is going on, I've said to her, I said, hey, if you feel like what I'm doing 
is this malevolent, malicious, evil, criminal scheme. Call the police. I don't know how it's criminal because I, I don't follow this woman around. You know, I ain't chasing down her phone number. I ain't chasing down her address. I'm not stalking her Instagram like her friends seem to stalk mine. When my friends want to give me updates on her Instagram or her Facebook, when my friends want to DM me pictures from her Instagram and her Facebook of baby girl, I tell them no. I get what I need to get or what I deserve to have when I'm supposed to get it. And short of that one photo that I had that I took from her mom's page, I ain't never took nothing else. Everything else I was given. So she went over to my parents' house after I texted her and I told her my dad is beginning to suffer from early stage dementia, Alzheimer's. You know, you don't need to rock the boat with him. But I guess cause, because my dad is still responsive and because most people define dementia or Alzheimer's as people who just don't remember shit and don't know nobody and can't remember nobody. And they, they, that when she went, she met with him, she probably thought I was lying. Really wasn't none of fucking business anyway, but I told her that. And she could have handled it because I'm 33 years old. Ain't a damn thing that my mama gonna do to make me do shit about nothing. I love my mama. I love Gloria Jacobs, but Gloria Jacobs don't make no decisions about me and my household. I'm a grown ass man. Same thing with Willie. Love Willie Jacobs. He don't make a decision for me. Now, when I look back on the situation, I think that a lot of this has to do with the fact of some of the same similar issues that I dealt with. She's in a place now to where she's wanting to move on. She's wanting certain things out of her life. And any capacity of having to explain me being in it makes it too difficult for her. So it's easier to view me in a negative light. Remember the negatives about me. Forget all of the positives about me and paint me as a villain. And I'm not even upset about it. But what's true is true and what's false is false. And what you guys get from me is is the truth. And the truth of the matter is, is that good, bad, indifferent, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, it don't matter what day of the week it is. At the at the core of it all, I can't deny what she has meant to my life. What she's given to my life. She's given my life hope. She's given my life purpose. She's given my life meaning. A meaning that wasn't there when I was making the decision to take my own life. So when people want me to hate her, when people want me to forget about her, when people want me to characterize her in a negative light, even when she may do something that I disagree with, don't like, or think is wrong. I look back on 43 West 21st Street, and I remember there was a time that when she was staring off into, into the clouds that she was everything that I ever wanted in life. This is Brandon Kobe Jacobs, and you've been listening to the Established 1984 Podcast. Take care. 
I love the girl that's reading this. A false figment of my imagination, which translates into something that isn't entirely nothing, but more so a quagmire of words that define the term so effortlessly known as love. You see, this girl isn't just any old girl. No run-of-the-mill, I love you, you love me, we a happy family kind of girl. You see, my girl's the decade preceding my first, my timeline's last name, if you will. You see, I want her to carry my last name and my first child. You see, it's wild to love for a while, to freeze time and hold it for a moment, but you bust the windows out my car. And here I am, still in love with you like a bottle of 1800 that was never empty. And I bet it now fills the bottom of a landfill, just like the memories of yesteryear fading into obscurity because suddenly there's something on me and love. There's nothing on you. And you may not like the invisible nature of what you think love is, but I think love is exactly all the things you seem to find contrary, which contrary to popular belief, it's not so odd that I'm exactly who I was when you met me. The affairs of the heart are public displays of affection with me. They always have been. So why does it seem to you that I never loved you at all? Perhaps the seeds didn't grow with the expectancy of the Lotus Flower Bomb. I love to listen to you sing Lotus Flower Bomb when it's 4.52 a.m. and you have to be to work at 5 a.m. and you think I'm asleep, but I'm really wanting you to undress. That uniform impresses me, girl. A figment of rosemary you smell as you view the love dipped in roses. I made the lavender just for you, girl. You see, I love the girl that's reading this. She's reading this just like the night she read my diary and some not so pleasantries spilled out in bloody red ink. I am what I am, deeply flawed, passionately in love and all. And all that I am is your family, an imperfect sort, but the sort that knows that you'll read this. And even though you won't forgive me, nor will you apologize, perhaps never admit it, probably receive this from a third party who has no desire to mind their own fucking business and perhaps overanalyze this into some deep cry for attention, perhaps an internal affirmation from all those that would be tagged. Even in the midst of all of that, this will still get to you. Facebooked, Twitterless and all, and you'll know. Even if you hate me, I always loved you. And there's no misremembering that because we were both there when I said it.